little brother has taken control Shoveling dirt in every hole Predators to condemn your soul Watching you and watching me We're all connected but separated Misunderstood and so frustrated A million armies of one have invaded Watching you and watching me
The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. Atop the mountains of British Columbia, to you listening around the world, this is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott. You can follow us on our website. SpacedOutRadio.com on iTunes and TuneIn. Follow Dave on Twitter at SpacedOutRadio.com on Facebook at SpacedOutRadioShow or on our YouTube channel SpacedOutRadioShow. Game on! Game on! Game on! Dave, oh Dave, are you playing with Bigfoot and aliens again? The password is... All right, all right, all right. Okay, seriously, what's with the points? Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff. Seriously, Dave? Really? Hi, Chloe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Kevin, take your seat on my left. It's time for takeoff. Good evening and welcome to Space Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott, and it's good to have you along for the ride wherever you are on this place we like to call planet Earth. 
Yes, we are live right now in Uncle Jimbo's cabin right here in the Great White North on this Monday night, early Tuesday morning if you're on the East Coast. As we welcome in everyone listening in at SpacedOutRadio.com, on Spreaker, on the United Public Radio Network, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio as we do this thing every single night of the week. No, we never take a night off as we rock in and out of every show. Thanks to our resident guitar god, Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy, and currently torturing me because I only know three guitar chords. Yes, Bumblefoot is the official sound of SOR. Hey, if you're on Twitter, you can follow me at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like. Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, you can follow me at Dave Scott SOR. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download this show and others on iTunes. And, of course, our website is SpacedOutRadio.com. Hey, if you want to take part in this show, because we don't normally take phone calls, you have to sign in to one of the chat rooms, either on Revolution Radio, on Spreaker, on the UPRN chat room or on Facebook at the SOR Space Travelers Club. Or if you're on Twitter, do me a favor, use the hashtag SpacedOutRadio and we will get to your questions in there as well. If you haven't signed up for the SOR Space Travelers Club yet, it is only 5 bucks a month. It's on our website. All you got to do is put your name in. You get your name put into monthly prize draws. We get a special posting section for you and so much more. Hey, we're going to give you a hell of a lot more than just access to our archives while on our website. Check out my latest blog and, of course, Eric Markham's SOR Spacewire for your latest weird news. And if you've had a sighting you can't explain, fill out an SOR Sightlines report. Researcher Mike Smith is ready to take your call. Hey, we want to welcome in everyone listening in on our regular affiliates, Renegade Talk Radio, live out of Las Vegas. Yes, we are live right now in Sin City. We're sounding good, too. And if you're listening in on the United Public Radio Network, we want to thank everyone for tuning us in live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us. And if you're a listener on Revolution Radio, remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener, head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. The final Monday of the month and the final Monday of January means it's time for the first appearance of the year for our resident crypto hunter, Mr. Butch Witkowski from UO4COP in Pennsylvania. Butch is a no-nonsense type of investigator. What many people take as being cocky, he takes it much like a Sergeant Joe Friday. And it's just a fax, ma'am. Tonight, for the first part of the show, we are going to talk and go somewhere with Butch that we haven't gone before. That is the competition that seems to hover around the paranormal industry. And whether you like it or not, cryptids are a big part of the paranormal umbrella. From insults to threats to sabotage of evidence, there are plenty of groups and individuals out there that are really creating a ruckus in the field. And truly, it's quite disheartening. I mean, why the competition? We have some brilliant people working and seeking answers to the unknown. Imagine if these researchers actually got their noses out of the clouds and actually tried to work together, since they have a common goal and a common search to find out what's going on. I mean, how much further ahead in this field would we be? Would we already be at a place where mainstream science takes ghosts, Bigfoot, and aliens seriously? Could be. Or, we could be no further ahead than we are right now. But this is what we do know. 
There's more than enough ego and attitude out there to keep this field down for decades to come. And really, it's too bad, because there's really good work being done out there. We welcome in Butch Wachowski from UF4COP.com. Nice to talk to you in 2017, my friend. Good to talk to you again. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm finally almost at the tail end of this cold. I'm feeling about 98% right now. So hopefully we can knock on wood, you know, keep this going here. Because the last couple of weeks, the throat was a little raw. I'm not going to lie. It was a little raw. Vodka is good for that. Well, we like fire. (laughs) We like fireball in these parts. Yeah, fireballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we like our fireball. And, you know... That's just the way we like to do things. But how you been? How was your holidays? Good. good. Good holidays. A lot of fun. Got to talk to a lot of people. Um, a few that I haven't seen for many years. Uh, right. Made a few connections with people that I haven't talked to really in person, but finally got to meet them. Um, overall, good. 2016 was a good year. Looking forward to 2017, which and has you know, a good start. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? We're going to get into that later on in the show because... I totally have been hearing from a lot of researchers out there that all of a sudden, this early in 2017, we are hearing of a lot of UFO reports especially. And last year, considering it was so spotty and so all over the place with research and these really good and hard-to-find people who were coming out of the woodwork... You know, they just weren't having the experiences. But this year, all of a sudden, it seems experiences are up. Yeah, and it started right at the beginning of the year, right? Um, uh, January, it started picking up for us real um, January 23rd, and it's nonstop. Why? I haven't got a clue, but we'll take them as they come. I fully agree with you. And, you know, for the first little bit here, and normally we don't go down this road with you because you're so heavily into the cryptids. But I want to fill our audience in here because one of the things that we do on this show is we put our archives on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. And I read the comments of all of our listeners. The good, the bad, the ugly, the uninformed, the over-informed the paranoid to the skeptic, so on and so forth. I read it all. And when it comes to you, the one thing that I noticed is what a polarizing figure you tend to be in the cryptid world. So I started thinking about this, Butch. And I started thinking, is it the fact that we have literally, you know, someone here who's known as a hothead? Or is it someone that we have here who's just absolutely so upfront and let's just get down to the brass tacks that people take that wrong? So I started thinking about our show topic for the month and it got me thinking, why is there so much anger in the cryptid world? Why is there so much competition? Why do people feel the need to be absolutely rude at times? maybe destructive at times. So I want to get into that with you, my friend, as someone who has seen the good and seen the bad. Two words, fortune and glory. I have watched it over the years destroy, and I mean destroy, groups, individuals, researchers, 
down-to-earth investigators uh, for no apparent reason other than fortune and glory or uh, the paranormal community. Um, it's almost in a contradiction of terms when it comes to community by definition because you have uh, the allure of the bright lights of television and conferences and uh, putting books out and all that stuff, and it just amounts to a lot of pipe dreams with fame, fantasy, adventure, and fortune. And that gets put before real research, uh, honest research, uh, provable research. Um, I don't know how many cases that I've talked to folks about over the years and said, well, so what do you got? Well, I just told you what I got. Well, no, I mean, what do you have? I mean, there was a report. You have a location. Did you get any evidence uh, to talk to anybody? No, I just told you what I have, so that's what I got. Well, okay, there you are. So where individual is claiming that they got this really ripe, delicious, unbelievable case, and when it comes down to the bottom line, they got zilch, zero, nada. And then you have the groups, which are at constant war with each other. You know, uh, my group got more reports than your group, so we're a better group than your group. Or you have the internal fighting in a group where one person doesn't like another person or whatever that case may be for many different reasons. Uh, and then that group breaks up, and, you know, before you know it, there's another group, different name, different hats, different T-shirts. Um, the days of sitting down and working together is few and far between. I mean, I am extremely fortunate that there are six or seven or almost eight groups, well, eight groups now, that I can work with and share information with and um, don't have to worry about that petty stuff or the backstabbing or the lying or the cheating or the stealing or the threatening or all that stuff. And I know a lot of good researchers that over the years just said enough, enough is enough, and they just packed it in. They just quit. And that's sad for the community because, like you said, divided, we're not going anywhere. We'll stay exactly where we're at. We'll be taking reports and talking on radio shows and telling people what we got, but that's as far as we're going to go. It's not going to go any further than that. The... Um, the uh, what is surprising to me over the years is what I learned was that most of the top-notch people out there that, you know, the conference people, the book writers, the television personalities have, one, never seen a UFO, two, never seen a cryptid, and three, um, paranormal-wise, I mean, one report looks just like the other. And... Um, I'm hopeful that it will change. Um, smaller groups are starting to work together a little bit more, I've seen over the last two years. Uh, sharing information, um, helping out with boots on the ground, uh, doesn't seem like a lot, but that does mean a lot. I mean, if you're uh, searching an area or going to a house or doing a star watch and, you know, you're limited to people. You can say you only have three or four people in your group, but you need to cover a wider area. Then you can call up another group and say, hey, can you bring some people up next Saturday or something like that? And you say, yeah, I'll bring ten people along. Where do you want them? Works out a whole lot better for everybody. But 
Then the opposite side is somebody will call up and ask for help. Well, I only got three or four people for a star watch. I got to cover more area, or I got to cover this house, or I got to do this, or I got to do that. And then you get this. Well, you should just get more people together. Have a have a meeting. Get some more membership. You know, go out there and talk your group up. I don't have time for this, and that's the end of it. So, it's pretty much where it lies right now, with the with some exceptions, of course. And there's always going to be those exceptions. Butch, but when I look at the field and I interview a lot of people, it, it just seems whether it's on social media, whether it's in an interview, you always hear people getting their back up for no reason. And this is something that I don't thoroughly understand. Okay. And I don't understand it because I find that it is just way too lethargic for the entire industry of researchers to be battling one another in the meantime all we're trying to do is actually take this evidence prove these experiences are happening and in the meantime not worrying about what other people are doing because when i look at things i see way too many people considering their fact or their, pardon me, their own opinion as fact. I see way too many people eliminating stories, whether it's First Nations, whether it's people's experiences, because it doesn't jive with what they believe. So obviously somebody's got to be making something up. And they all try to hide behind the word science. Mm. And I think that's something that absolutely loses a lot of faith in people in coming forward, whether they've seen Dogman, Bigfoot, werewolves, aliens, why should I come forward if the people in this entire industry are going to shoot me down when they're the ones I'm supposed to turn to? Well, first of all, you know, this whole genre is all pseudoscience. So we've got to prove to the scientific community that we're for real that the researchers that are out there and investigators are out there that are doing their job, they're getting their boots muddy, that are doing their research, that are spending time in the library, spending time uh, you know, researching and reading books, uh, going back in time, uh, news, old newspapers, Internet, all, all that stuff. I mean, there are but a handful of people that do that. You know, I, I've, seen, I've seen some reports where I'm reading the report and I'm going like, oh, wait a minute, I read this report before. It wasn't here. And then I do a little background research on that report, and here was a report from another part of the country that somebody changed a few locations, um, a few things in the story, but it was basically almost verbatim. So, you know, people should not get involved. People that are interested should not get involved with the armchair Internet investigator because all they're doing is copy and pasting information or you know, putting it into a book or, 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 or uh, speaking at a conference. Um, it amazes me till this day how many conferences have people that are going up there and talking about Roswell. I mean, that makes me crazy. Roswell has been gone over for, what, 50-some years now, over and over and over, and the story changes just a little bit, just a little bit enough to pique your interest but it's not telling you anything. I want to listen to the guy that was out last weekend in the rain or the snow 
following a set of tracks that pretty much went nowhere or went into a cave or up a tree or wherever, that's the guy I want to listen to. And they're very few and far between. We have this group, I would say, uh, of people out there that really, really try. And they're all over the country. They're not big groups. You know, they, they have the equipment, they have the know-how, they have the knowledge, they do the research, they do the investigating, and they're the very first ones that get shot down by somebody who's never left their den or, you know, actually drove past a haunted house once in their lifetime or their knowledge of a computer or, or the photographic uh, programs that are out there today. Their only knowledge they have of that is they walked by a computer one time. So hopefully... The people that are out there really doing their thing, don't let anybody, no matter what they say about you, what they think, what they do, if they're a skeptic and they say, hey, that was no UFO, just look at them and say, like, okay, what was it? Tell me what it was. What do you think it was? Or was that a, a cryptid uh, footprint? No, it wasn't. Well, what do you think it was? Skeptics are pretty easy to quiet. I mean, <laughs> all you got to do is throw it back in their lap and they just look at you with, you know, those deer in the headlight look and go like, what? But there are a lot of still good researchers out there. They're coming up. They're coming fast. Uh, they know this game. They've seen it before. They've, they've, some of them have been involved in it, unfortunately. And all I got to do is tell them this. I don't care what anybody says. Do your thing. Go out there and do what you want to do. Do how you know how to do it best. Come up with your answer, and that's yours. Nobody can take that from you. They weren't there. They didn't cast the print. They didn't take the photograph. They didn't run the video. They didn't do anything. So, basically, they have no say. You got what you went after. It's yours. Run with it. I'm still a little naive, I guess I could say, in regards to where the ego comes from. And I realize you brought up the two points right off the top of the of the show, but is it money? Is it the fact that they think they're going to get a TV show or their 15 minutes of fame on Entertainment Tonight or something oh, along I've, those lines? Oh, my God, yeah. These, I mean, I've talked to people that actually believe that they can make a living out of researching UFOs. Now, I don't know if they're counting the 20 bucks they got from the local library in that amount of money that they're going to pocket, but granted, there are some older researchers that are out there. They, they get paid seriously, but they don't get paid seriously every week. They may do three, four conferences a year. And even if you're getting 1500 bucks a conference, that's not a lot of money. I just spent that much on a laptop. So when people say, well, I want to do this, I want to get on television, I want to get a television show, uh, I mean, if anybody believes that those, buf buf <laughs> those buffoons running around in the woods throwing bacon at stuff, laying out uh, donuts and nailing pork chops to trees are going to find anything, they're out of their minds. Uh, a long-time Bigfoot researcher just told me a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. And he said, when we went out looking for Bigfoot back in the day, he said, we never heard wood knocks. 
We never knocked on trees. Why do they do that now, and what are they hearing? He said, I don't understand. And I said, I don't understand either. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's done even today that just makes you shake your head. But the fortune and glory is, you know, does everybody want to be a Stanton Friedman? Uh, does everybody want to be a Richard Dolan? Does everybody? I mean, these are guys who've been doing it a long time, and they do a lot of conferences. They write a lot of books. I mean, they're they're knowledgeable in what they do. But you know, some guy from East Podunk with a pair of binoculars and an EMF detector is not going to break the realm of the paranormal and ufology, and wind up with a television program with sixty million visitors every night. It's not going to happen. But these people do believe that. Um, they promote themselves um, outrageously. Look, I've said from day one, I will help anybody that needs my help. I don't care if it's something research, background research, something I might have, something I may have had, uh, the use of the truck and, and some boots on the ground. I don't care. That doesn't bother me a bit. But then when you do that, then they say, well, oh, man, he's out there. He's trying to take over that investigation. Well, I'm not taking over investigation. I didn't have it to begin with. And the people that are out there, you know, one of these days, and it's going to happen. I, I, I know an individual now that's pretty much got a very good case. And if he takes it to court, you're going to see a lot of heads fall. And it's going to be very embarrassing. And um, I, uh, I keep thinking to myself, how and why has it come this far? Why can't you sit down with somebody and say, okay, Dave, this is what I got. Here's the photograph. Does this match something that you saw in British Columbia six years ago? If it does, can you give me the location or the latitude and longitude so I can see if I can track and make some kind of ley line from where this one was seen to where that one was seen? And you saying, yeah, no problem. That's refreshing. But when you say that to somebody and then Dave goes, oh, wait a minute, I'm not giving you any information. You're, you must be writing a book or something. Or this is, this is going to be up on YouTube or uh, this picture is going to be all over Facebook and Twitter by tomorrow afternoon. No, no, I'm not giving you any information. Nobody trusts anybody. Everybody thinks they're out to put them in the graveyard, to put, put an end to them. And like I said, many good researchers have gone that route and they got out of it. They quit. They just stopped. Uh, one guy in particular who I, I just loved his work in the paranormal. Um, he was at it a long time. He uh, uh, wrote one book. That book to me is like the Bible of the paranormal. Uh, I have one out in my truck. I have one here on my desk. I've consulted it many, many times. Unfortunately, he got it filled up to his nose, and he said, enough is enough. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm finished. And he walked away. And he's not coming back. And there was a guy that most paranormal people that I've met should have, you know, been going to on a daily basis because he was just so into it. I mean, the guy studied, you know, the paranormal investigation stuff came into, into play in, in 1882 when the first ghost hunters started looking for ghosts and paranormal stuff. 1882. And he tracked that all the way up until yeah, he left in the uh, uh, 2011, I believe, 2012. 
And the guy was so knowledgeable, and he was so honest, and he took more crap and more bull from people that had no idea how to even load film into a camera, let alone lay out an investigation or do any type of background research. And it's sad, but those are the type of people we have lost. And, and if we continue to lose them, like I said, we're going to just stay right where we are. We're not going anywhere. We're just going to keep documenting reports, you know, talking to each other on a radio show or on a phone or via Skype or email, and it's not going to go any further. Is it the fact that there is no income involved that people who are trying to make a life or think they have the answer to make a quick buck off of this that's ruining it for a lot of older researchers, or is it the fact that over the years they just haven't been taken seriously? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, first of all, nobody in the in the entertainment world or the scientific world takes us seriously. I mean, you know, we're the hoo-ha laughing point of every newspaper article you ever read when it comes to ufology or, or the paranormal or cryptids. And the other part is, look, you can't look at this like a job. This is a... Um, it's like a hobby, an intense hobby. And some people get so intense in hobbies. I mean, I know people that spend fortunes on these model airplanes and model cars, but... Nobody's paying me back. I don't get paid by anybody. I mean, everything that I've put into this, I've invested for one reason and one reason only. I want to know the truth. Now, can I get that out of a book? No. Can I get it off the TV? No. Can I get it through my own research? Possibly. Do I need equipment to do that research? Absolutely. So it's not any money coming into my pocket. It's money going out of my pocket. But I don't mind that because I'm looking for something, and these are just tools to help me find it. Whether it's a laptop or a pen and pencil set or whatever you use, it's not, there's no return. And even if you do find something, that's, that's the, here's the killer. When I hear people say, well, if I get Bigfoot, if I find Bigfoot, I'm going to be a millionaire. And I'm going like, okay, who's going to need a million dollars? Oh, I'm sure the government will give it to me, or 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 some 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 zoo. Somebody will give me a million dollars. I said, well, if you're going to be out there looking for Bigfoot to gain a million dollars, two things are going to happen. You're either going to get lost in the woods because you have no idea what you're doing, or you are going to be broke because they nobody paying you anything. I said, now if you get a good print, uh, scat and hair that prove not to be of anything that we know of in the cryptid world. And I said, then you got something. Is somebody going to pay you for it? I doubt it, because you're going to have to pay them to look at it. You know, if you want a DNA study, it's, they're not going to do it for free. So just get used to the fact that the money's coming out of your pocket, and the chances of getting any money put back in your pocket is slim to none. And that's just the way it is. So you've got to have it in your heart that you want to look, you want to find the truth, and you want to put the truth out there. And you want to prove it. You have the evidence. You want to prove it. This is what we found. This is what they said. This is what the scientific community says. So there you are. I don't have to shoot one. I don't have to drag one out of the woods. I don't have to beat one over the head with a, a banana. All i got to do is say, here's the hair. Here's the samples. This, that. Everything's been uh, clarified. Uh, peer review has been done to the paper. Do with it as you will. 
So what do I get out of it? Money? No. Self-satisfaction? Absolutely. But people got money in their heads, and how they equate ufology and cryptozoology and the paranormal to putting money into your checking account is beyond me. It's just beyond me. Writing books? People don't make a lot of money on books. I've talked to people that wrote a lot of books. I'm in a few books, quite a few books, and ask them, you know, what do you actually make on a book like this? When they tell me $3 or $4, I'm going like, I wouldn't even waste my time. Now, if you were selling a book for $100 and you were getting 90 okay, but that's not the way it works. I mean, you got to put the money out to do a book, so instead of putting money out to do a book, why don't you put money out to buy equipment to go out and do research? It's just really ass backwards. I get that. And I get the fact that people want to be first, okay? When I was a journalist, the key when we were trying to break a story was, let's see how long we can get that story before another network picks it up, right? Mm -hmm. And the goal, the ego behind it was trying to find that breaking news story. And I was fortunate enough to have it happen a few times. And I and I remember the rush off of that. So I can fully understand, Butch, if someone all of a sudden gets that next quality Patterson-Gimlin-type film on Bigfoot or Dogman or of aliens, you know, up close and personal, even though it's going to be absolutely shredded to hell, I wouldn't release mm-hmm. it on YouTube if, if I were them. But the whole point being is, I understand what they are looking for. I understand the concept that they think they have this idea or this invaluable tool that is going to help them prove everything, that they want to keep it quiet. I get that. But in the end, shouldn't the goal be to try and gather all of this information put it together, and then have some of these really brilliant people who are in the field present it to mainstream science or to mainstream media or to the Smithsonian or some other types of long-term museums like that to say, this is what we have. This is what we've found. I would love to see that happen here in British Columbia where we could go to, you know, the Museum of Natural Resources or something along those lines and and present it in a profound way where they may say, where we can prevent present it to a government official, where they may say, you know what, we're going to immediately look to protect Bigfoot as an endangered species or a protected species in the province or maybe across the country. Yet, when we have people who are reaching into so many different pockets... We're just shooting ourselves in the foot. Well, yeah, and you have that ugly three-letter word, ego, which is like it's like pulling a pin on a hand grenade. Um, you can have 20 people in a group, and 19 people are really doing all they can to get the information that they need to proceed. And you have one guy with an ego. And I will guarantee you, I will put it in writing. I will put money behind it. That group will be destroyed in less than six months. And it's happened to groups that have been around since the 90s, the 80s. Um, Lack of interest uh, is another thing that kills them. You know, uh, they're gung-ho in the very first six months. And after that, you know, the monthly meeting now is bi-monthly. The bi-monthly is now quarterly. The quarterly is now yearly. And it's all over. It's done. 
And what always intrigued me, I guess intrigue might not be a good word, but just a question in my head was, you know, why do people get involved in what is absolutely a lifetime chase, most likely, of something that they have to prove exists that nobody else can prove, and then, you know, step out after 30, 60, 90 days and say, uh, I think I'm going to take up mountain bike riding or something. And then on their exit, they badmouth everybody they ever met in the, in the whole operation from day one. And I don't know if that makes them feel better, that, uh, you know, they're getting out, but they're going to, you know, burn the bridges behind them, you know, the scorched earth deal. But I still have a lot of faith in the ones that are out there. I mean, I deal with them a lot. I talk to them a lot. They're on the right track. They're trying hard. Um, you know, one guy I just talked to didn't buy tires for his car because he wanted to get a new uh, a new camera. And then um, his wife finally gave in and got him the new camera for his birthday. But he was ready to, you know... There are people out there that are willing to do what they got to do to get it done. And there are some people out there that they're willing to do whatever they can to destroy what anybody else is doing and thinking that they're making themselves look bigger, smarter, more knowledgeable. And when it comes right down to them, basically, they're morons. They have no clue. They did nothing. They've gone nowhere. They have very little equipment. Nobody will go with them. The last time they were out in the woods was when they were a picnic at 16 years old in high school. You know, but when you hear them talk, man, this guy is like super investigator or super researcher or super UFO guy or super crypto guy or super paranormal guy. And they're the ones that just are hell-bent. And eventually they always get what they, you know, you always... You know, you sow it, you're going to reap the benefits. And that benefit is usually karma. And after a while, they go away and they're forgotten, but there's always somebody out there to take their place. There's always a skeptic in the world. I got a couple questions from Everett for you in the SOR Space mm -hmm. Travelers Club on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, Butch, could it be possible that there are reports, that the reports are similar in between, you know, you, earlier you said that, you know, some s stories sound so alike it seems like they're copied. So Everett's asking, could it be possible that the reports are similar because the experiences were similar? Oh, yeah. and, and but, but when you see that same report, and uh, let's just take the weather, for instance. Um, it, was a, it was dark, it was cloudy, it was stormy. Uh, and then you know the location because it's in the report, and then you go check the weather for that report, and you find out it was clear and sunny and, you know, visibility was perfect, and, you know, it was a nice day. It was in the 80s. But that report says the opposite. And then you'll find the location where it'll say, well, it was a two-lane street, and, and, and the object was seen going south. And in this report it says, well, it was a two-lane street, but it was seen going north. When you start picking up those little things all the way through the port, I guarantee you that was copied. Right. And I can see where you I'm, would say that. that. There's just too much there. Mm -hmm. Everett's second question, what then should a person do during a sighting? Sometimes all you can do is take a few pics and tell your experience. Sometimes you don't even get the pictures in. 
the best thing, look, not everybody can get a good picture. That's that's for sure. We've seen that over many years. But if you're going to be out, now, is this somebody that's going to be out looking, or is this somebody that just seems one per chance? If well, it's let, per chance. Let's say it's by per chance, yeah. Yeah, if it's per chance, uh, okay, so you were fast enough to get the camera on it, and you got a shot, and now uh, it's out of sight, but you're not done. Now you should be thinking, what time was it? What direction of travel? What's the nearest point of reference that I can use? Where am I at? Uh, you know, all those little things mean a lot. And uh, most people just take the picture and say, well, I was in my backyard and I got this shot and I don't know what the hell it is. And that's it. That's the end of the story. Okay, well, where was your house? What was the weather like? Uh, do you have an air base or military bases by you? Uh, how high up was it? I mean, there's so many questions to ask that they could answer if they just stopped a minute and and you know when somebody sees something in the sky they don't know what it is they're excited i still get excited when i see something in the sky that i don't know what it is but you know sort sort of put the report together in your head while you're standing there instead of just getting in the car and you know driving over to sally's house and telling sally what you just saw do those other things first and then if you get the chance and you're not going to sally's and you're going home write it down on a piece of paper and then make the report, if you're going to make the report, to a credible reporting agency. And if they don't know who a credible reporting agency is, then everybody in their town, I don't care where they live, here or in Canada or anyplace else, there's usually somebody or a group that does UFOs or paranormal or something, and hunt around for the group that's been there the longest. Don't go to the one that just started the day before yesterday. I mean, they don't even have their new hats and T-shirts yet. So you want to go, to, you want to go to the other group that's been around for a while, and ask them if they take a look at the report for you. Period. And you'll probably get a lot further than just, you know, letting it go by the wayside. And I take every report I can. I don't care how little it is or how big it is. I'll take it. I put it in a database, and um, suppose that same individual sees that same thing in the same spot six months later. Now you got something to go back on. Now you want to know what the weather was, you know, and you start to put together, uh, you know, what happened. Could it happen again? What was it? You know, was that airbase flying that night, which we can find out easily? Was there any radar captured on it? We can get that from the airports. That's public knowledge. And there's a lot of information get you can gather just from one simple sighting. But. Unfortunately, most people just take the picture and, you know, show it to their buddies and forget about it, and that's the end of it. Is it that bad out there, though, Butch? Or is it something that, you know, it's just a few causing a train wreck for everybody? It's a few causing a train wreck for everybody, but what I've seen just in the last year is that people got smart. They started looking at the... Instead of just listening to the individual and go, or individuals and going off on a tangent on a Bigfoot guy that's on television or, or, or a television program on UFOs or a, or a paranormal thing that's on the radio or Bigfoot uh, on, on a blog station or anything like that or, or YouTube, they're starting to look at the person that's doing the bad-mouthing and looking at them hard and writing them off. And... Uh, in some cases, disassociate, disassociating themselves with those individuals. And then you got the guy that was disassociated with going like, well, what did I say? 
okay. <laughs> but it's, uh, they're catching up. The people are catching up. The, 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 like I said, the younger people out there, they're not so easy to fool. They, they look a little bit further. You know, uh, one guy um, in, uh, oh, I believe he's in Mississippi. I think Mississippi. No, not Mississippi. He's in Louisiana, uh, independent researcher. And all of a sudden, uh, he was contacted by some guy in Georgia, I believe, who wanted to share information back and forth. And uh, he said, well, yeah, no problem. And um, they met. And this guy started trying to talk him into doing a TV show uh, on a local station in Georgia. And um, they started dropping names, and they came to the conclusion that this guy's been trying to get somebody to go on television with him for like 10 years. And really never investigated anything, uh, but, you know, showed up with the UFO uh, picture of an alien on his jacket and on his hat, you know, and little little pins of aliens and and Bigfoot pins on his hat and all this stuff. And uh, <laughs> he said he had to chuckle. And uh, I said, so where'd that go? He said, I don't know. He said, I, I paid the bill, left the tip, got my car, and drove home. So you got people that that's all they want. They they're not out there investigating anything. They just want to be famous. If they want to be famous, let them bake cookies and get, like, Famous Amos and make some good cookies. I'll buy them. I'm more into the Girl Guide cookies. Yeah, that, they're not good, gonna too. Lie. Yeah, I, I'm so excited that that season's coming around here pretty damn quick. Oh, yeah, I can't wait for them to ring the doorbell. I know, I know. Up here, they actually walk into your work, and they steal all the money, these cute little girls, you know, trying to... Oh, I open the door, and I just say... Just take my money. Take my money. Just take my money. <laughs> just, just give me the boxes. Take my money. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and you can't blame them. You can't blame them whatsoever because you have to do no. it. You know, you know, yeah. you know, you know, you're running to an ATM, grab a hundred bucks, and you're going to buy a hundred bucks worth of cookies. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> yeah, of course, my wife will flip out, but ah, well, I've done dumber things. Yeah, but me you know, too. ultimately, you know, there's good and bad in everything in in, in this in these genres. It's it's. However, it's been unfortunate experiences by some people um, with these pretentious or unrealistic uh, individuals that are out there in the paranormal community. Uh, but they're also in the Bigfoot camps and the UFO chasers as well. And that's been happening over the last decade. And um, that has caused uh, a lot of decisions for people to just pack it in. But honestly, there are a lot of good researchers out there that will cover your back that will follow you wherever you want to go. And um, they do it. They get it done. And they're looking for the same thing you are, which is what we should all be looking for, which is the truth. End of story, period. That's it. That's the way we should be doing it. Has anybody found any truth out there? I mean, it sounds like a simplistic question, but I think it's one to ask. What's the truth? I think now, uh, yeah, I well... Truth is, uh, people are doing it. Uh, some folks are doing it much differently than before. They're looking at habitat. They're looking at places they never looked before. They're uh, going to, uh, you know, they're they're examining more things. They're doing more background research into the area itself 
um, they're talking to more people. I mean, most researchers, I don't care what, what you're doing, they don't, you know, they may talk to the person that's making the report, but that's as far as it goes. They don't talk to anybody else. Where I see more researchers now, like going to the neighbor, uh, going to the local newspaper, going to the local police department, going to the local fire department, you know, talking to farmers, talking to anybody they can to see if those experiences have been, or 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 things that have happened have been seen by other people. I mean, they're expanding the investigation from just uh, a one or two person one on one report, and they're now expanding into uh, an investigation where they're trying to get more from the area that they're working in. And that is a big plus because I know very few researchers that do that, and um, we've always tried to do it. If you know, if there's people close by, we'll stop, introduce ourselves, tell them what we're looking for. Sometimes you get laughed at, and then sometimes somebody will sit there and go like, "Well, let me tell you," <laughs> you know. And sometimes it's you know nonsense, and then other times it's just another lead. And um, the old ways of doing it, like just walking around and making a report, and then telling everybody what you didn't find is now getting to a point where people, the researchers, they don't want to do that. They don't want to tell you what they didn't find. What they want to tell you is what they did find or what the report found, or they have multiple witness sightings, which is a big one. And um, But when somebody tells me they got Bigfoot running around their backyard for the last two and a half years, and they're the only ones that see it, mm, I'm pretty much writing that one off. Um... It, it, it will change. I, I'm, I, you know, I, I know it will change. I see it. The little changes happening now. Um, the uh, the researchers that are out there that kind of stay together, hang together, and they kind of protect each other. And that's a good thing too, because if you know if somebody's out there doing the the nasty thing on you, and you get an update on it, that's why they make lawyers. I get that, and I appreciate that. Earlier you mentioned that you felt the younger generation that is coming into this is coming in asking a heck of a lot more questions. What separates the younger generation of crypto experts or researchers coming in compared to what we've had over the last number of years? Uh, They're more savvy equipment-wise. They know more about digital cameras than most people will ever learn. Uh, they know uh, uh, how to work that internet, how to do research. Um, uh, they can read a map. They can use Google Earth like nobody ever has. Uh, you know, they, there's just those little things that were sometimes done, most times not, that these folks picked up on, and they're using them to their benefit, and it's working. I mean, it's it's a whole lot easier when somebody calls me and says, can I help them out with a case, and here's the latitude and longitude, and I can go right to it. And I they're talking to me, and I'm looking at what they're talking about. But um, the uh, old school guys, you know, they had the paper map, or they had no map at all. They had one of those handheld GPSs that don't work worth a snot. I got a couple of those I'd like to throw. But... Um, uh, and they're smart enough to not only carry digital cameras, but they'll carry a film camera. Um, some are even uh, Polaroid. You know, uh, Polaroids uh, are great. You can't fake them. You can't really mess around too much with a, a 35 millimeter either. And I just saw the other day in the paper that Kodak, which stopped making uh, film 
for 35 millimeters in 2012 is now coming back in 2017 full bore with coat of color. So hopefully uh, with the knowledge that these young guys are bringing in, the young guys and girls, and I see a lot more women getting involved, a lot more girls getting involved in this. Uh, you know, I'm an old guy, so sometimes I'll stammer and stutter here at the keyboard going like, now how in the hell do I want to get to that? And, you know, one of those kids would be sitting here to go like, well, you push this, 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 and there you are. So I, I just think it's the technology end of it. Look, all these things we deal with, on their side of the fence, they have stealth, correct? Yes. yes on our do. side, the only thing we have is technology. We don't have stealth. So the more technology is involved, the more chances of getting what you're looking for. Uh, I mean, I could have went and bought a couple game cameras and stuck them out there in the field and, you know, watched all the deer go by. But instead, I invested in stealth cameras that are pure surveillance cameras that take a photograph every half second, regardless if anything walks in front of it or not. Now, i got to look at a heck of a lot of film, but I don't have to sit there and look at deer and birds and owls and everything else. I mean, I'm seeing it in real time. Every five seconds, that thing's taking a shot. Well, And by deploying those types of cameras and having the sat communications with the truck and and radio communication with the guys in the field. And I, you know, I can put people out and I can cover, you know, well, the radios will go 25 miles. If I want to put people out 25 miles away, I can do that and still keep in contact with them. And uh, that's what people are doing. They're not sitting home. They're not looking at the computer. They get, a, they get their target. They get their plan together. Uh, they get their equipment in the back of their station wagon or whatever they're running, and they go. And they don't go for two hours and then sit down and have a, a you know a barbecue. They're out for a day, two, three, four days, and then they come back and they spend the time. What did we find? What didn't we find? Where should we have looked? Where did we look? And they start working on maps. And they start working on ley lines. They start working on locations and what's in those locations. Okay, what's the history of these locations? Were these Indian burial grounds? Were there were there any homes in this area? Was there a military base here at one time? And that's all very pertinent information, no matter what you're looking for. And these young folks out there are doing it, which is good because I'm getting older. <laughs> Got a question from Everett for you. He says, Butch, how do you think the experiences of older investigators can be applied or used by the new generation? Oh, listen, uh, some of the best investigators that were ever out there, a um, uh, majority of them are gone, understandably, but... There's still so much stuff that they came up with over the years, uh, how to set up camera traps, uh, bait traps, um, uh, how, to, uh, how to make out uh, zone areas, um, you know, whether you've got 50 acres you're looking at or 5,000 acres. I mean, they came up with so many things, tricks and tips and stuff like that over the years, and a lot of it's been lost, but a lot of it is still in use today. And I'm going to be 70 years old, so... Some of these people I did know, or I've read about, or I use their techniques, and um, we're going to be putting out a training guide uh, sometime in 2017, early 2018, where we're going to put everything that we have learned, what to do and how to do, uh, sort of like tips and tricks type thing, uh, the type of equipment we used, where to get the equipment new, where to get the equipment used, um, and hey, I still buy a lot of used equipment. I mean, you know, if I can save 50 bucks, I'm going to save 50 bucks. But the old guys, they use their heads. 
And, you know, people say, well, why would you go to a library or why would you go look at old newspaper clippings? Well, with these cryptids that we're investigating here in Pennsylvania, in an old newspaper, I found that identical creature in a newspaper article from 1865. I didn't know that. There's no way I would have known that if I wouldn't have looked. So looking, just keeping forward uh, with your knowledge, and if you have a question, just ask somebody. I mean, just ask them. Uh, I get people ask questions all the time, whether it's equipment or an area that they're working in. Have I ever worked that area or anything like that? Or do I have a better description of this, that, and the other thing? Well, yes, yeah, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But I'll help anybody. I'll give them any information they want. I'm not hiding anything. I don't have anything to hide. You know, what I found is what I found. What I didn't find is what I didn't find. But the sharing of information is big. And unfortunately, it's not real big in the real world. I mean, you'll have certain groups that will share everything. Like, you know, Dave, if you called me and said, hey, Butch, do you have anything like this in your database? I'll look. Yeah, I do. Or no, I don't. Then you could call somebody else and then say, hey, this is Dave. Do you have this in your database? Click. <laughs> well, and I think you have to be careful, too. For instance, mm -hmm. when we found a couple of Bigfoot prints up here, you know, we were quick to get a, uh, Mike was quick to get a hold of you in order to say, hey, what's going on here? What do you think? You know, and described everything. And that's the way it should be. And we're going to get more into that, Butch, in hour number two, because we're only about 40 seconds here from taking our first break of the night. And, you know, when we get into that, I think it's important to understand that, give you an example. The guys that we have researching here, myself included, we're so amateur, man, that, you know, we're going to be lucky if we find everything. Now, we've been lucky to find two prints, but we'll see where it goes from there. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio. I'm your host, Dave Scott. We'll talk to you on the other side in about five and a half minutes. Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today. Looking for news beyond the mainstream news? Head to spacedoutradio.com and check out the SOR Spacewire. This is Spaced Out Radio's Eric Markham, News Director for the SOR Spacewire. Daily, I will bring you intriguing stories and outlandish reports from what's going on around the world. UFO sightings, paranormal activity, conspiracies, alternative health, and so much more. And if you have news, email me at news at spacedoutradio.com. Have you had an experience you can't explain? Had a run-in with ghosts, maybe Bigfoot, or seen lights in the sky? Hi, I'm Mike Schmidt from the SOR Sightlines. I'm here to investigate your sighting. Head to spacedoutradio.com and fill out a report on the sightlines. All your information is 100% confidential, and I will help you figure out what you've been seeing. File your report, and let's find out the answers together. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at 
purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit. And expect a miracle. Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us, from radio commercials to banners and social media. Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit spacedoutradio.com for more details. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com, where I... Vincent Zunza and my super sleuth partner Alexandra Sullivan track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest, from Bigfoot to Mel's Hole and everything in between. This is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird? Right here at spacedoutradio.com. Oh, there's only one way to rock loud and proud. In high definition, Radio 702 Rocks, Las Vegas. Every Saturday and Sunday night, as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness, you can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. Starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up, enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag Spaced Out Radio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Welcome back to hour number two in the Spaced Out Radio land here. Thank you so much for joining us. Tomorrow night on the show, we are going to be joined by Todd Neese. We are going to be talking Bigfoot all night long. Yes, we're going to talk about what is happening with the big hairy giant of North America. Look forward to that one. 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time right here at spaceoutradio.com. We want to thank everyone listening in on Revolution Radio. Remember, the Double R Machine is 
a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. If you're listening in on the United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world, it is good to have you with us. Thank you so much for tuning us in, and we want to say... Hello to everyone listening in on Renegade Talk Radio as we are live in Sin City. Renegade Talk Radio, the nightlife in Las Vegas. We are a part of it. Bill Cardwell has set the password for the SOR Space Travelers Club for tonight. Triskaidekaphobia is your password. Triskaidekaphobia is your password. Make sure you use it wisely or in a sentence. Space Travelers, we would totally appreciate that. Hey, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio to get your questions and comments there as well. I am watching you live each and every night. You can give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes, and of course our website is spacedoutradio.com where we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for 5 bucks a month. The final Monday of the month means it's time for Butch Witkowski from UO4Cop.com. Butch is a longtime cryptid investigator. Butch, welcome back. I'm here, ready to go. <laughs> Now, right before the break, we were talking about the younger generation of cryptid hunters that is coming up, comparatively getting a little bit more action done because of the technology advances. They're more used to computers and and any type of electronic toy that is out there, comparatively to the older generation, which was still doing things the way the old sleuths used to, in trying to find a mystery. And you think that's a good thing. But I'm wondering, when it comes to attitude with the younger generation that is searching out these cryptids, are they sticking to more on what they think is fact and their opinion rather than actually going through and doing the research from not only experiencers but First Nations and what other people have seen that may not be the same as what they have researched? Uh, yeah, yeah, they're very inquisitive. Um, the older fellows would pretty much take anybody's word for anything. And um, the newer guys that I've uh, met and gals over the, over the last few years have been way more interested in putting it together, making it jive. Uh, the research meets the criteria, the criteria meets the landmass, the landmass meets the mapping, the mapping meets this. Uh, the uh, the background research on on sighting prior sightings and all that stuff, uh, they really get into it in depth, and I think they are on the right track by doing it that way and questioning uh, everything, and they do question everything. Um, uh, one case that I just helped a, a group with was uh, they were looking for an area that they know is there, but it's not on Google, and um, they couldn't find it. Uh, they had an idea where it was, and it took a few hours, but between myself and another gentleman, we found it and sent them the information, and they're on their way there. Uh, a matter of fact, next weekend, and they're going to spend three days out there and see what they um, see what they can find. I get that. I get that. But one of the issues that I have with a lot of cryptid people, especially in the Bigfoot world, and I'm curious to get your opinion, is the fact, and I've said this a couple of times, that they still 
reserve their opinion as what the creature is. My opinion of Bigfoot is that it is there's something supernatural about this creature. I don't know if that's true or not, but from the evidence that I've seen, the people I've talked to, and the experiences people have had, combined with my own personal experience when I saw two of them, I don't believe that we're dealing with a hominid. I don't believe we're dealing with a relative of a great ape or Gigantopithecus or something along those lines. I think of all the blurry pictures that are taken. Not everybody is a bad photographer. I think of the blurry videos, the trail cams that are set up that catch every animal, yet when supposedly a Bigfoot comes around, the camera goes blank for two or three or ten shots, or there's these weird white orbs that seem to be racing around. That's not Mm -hmm. normal to me. Okay, The fact that there's researchers out there who refuse to carry a gun into the field because they have no success in their research when there's a gun around, but the minute they leave their weapons at home, all of a sudden, everything is active. Like, I don't think we're dealing with a very stupid creature, but I think we're dealing with one that is a little bit more special, if we could put it that way, than what a lot of people give it credit for. So when I see these people, whether they're young or old, already labeling Bigfoot in a category, does that not hurt the research right off the bat from what they are doing? Because if we think about it on a scientific level, science is about proving the theory that works by disproving what they can figure out is not true. Well, and that's that's why you have this huge split in the Bigfoot community. And, you know, you have one side that's saying, you know, they're flesh and blood, but they have no proof. You have the other side that says they could be interdimensional, which is uh, not questionable, but uh, more more has to be done on that side of it because that's relatively new. That only really popped up a couple of years ago. And then you have another group, which is very small at the moment, but are saying that they are actually aliens. And... Um, I think, and I agree with what you're saying about the cameras and everything else. I mean, that, it's, it's a, that's a fact. Not, not everybody's a bad photographer, and not everybody does not use a uh, tripod when they're taking a shot. And our cameras are the same way. They're, they're mounted. They're, they're, there's nobody touching them. They're off on their own, and they're good. You know, I can leave them out there for 60 days, and they do what they want to do. And um, I've gotten pictures of orbs. Um, I've gotten some blurry shots. Not a lot, but a couple. And I don't know what they are. But so you can't, I can't say one way or the other because there is no evidence of them being interdimensional as far as I can find. And there is no evidence of being flesh and blood. So it's right down the middle. And something has to happen in somebody's research that is going to point in one direction or the other. Now, I know the older guys, the older fellows that have been around a long time, all say that it's a flesh-and-blood creature. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, um, a long-lost relative to, John, to John, uh, Gigantopithecus, but uh, that's kind of a stretch. Um, there is uh, some people that are not doing the research 
what I would say normal research. These these folks are out really looking for uh, bodies, uh, bones, um, carcasses that were chewed on and stuff like that, uh, which is good. I mean, we do that with the cryptids. But um, if they have the wherewithal and the uh, knowledge base to go forward, somebody's going to prove something sooner or later. They have to. And they just have to. Whether it's a camera that's taking a video and uh, the creature appears and disappears before their eyes, or the creature's uh, being tracked, uh, whether by camera or by eye, and it disappears, or the creature, creature turns around and picks up a log and throws it at you or rips a tree apart in front of you. I mean, it's it's still up in the air, but like I said, now that you got, you used to have just one, which was all flesh and blood, and then, of course, you have the interdimensional, and now you have the UFO connection. And I know that in the paranormal community as a whole, there are groups that are saying that this is all connected. Ufology, Bigfoot, ghosts, cryptozoology are all the same. They all come from the same way. And then that leads to the dark side, where now there's a very small group. Uh, matter of fact, I'm just reading an article about them now that say these are all demons. So now we're going to bring demonology into this. So hopefully there are folks out there that can separate the wheat from the chaff and uh, use logic and uh, look for evidence instead of coming up with stuff like demonology. I, I just don't see that being involved in this at all. But that's the way it is. And, when you know, when they can't find something, somebody will make up an excuse why they can't. I can't find something. I just go like, oh, well, better luck next time. <laughs> I understand that. But why is there such a disbelief that, a creature like Bigfoot, if we focus on that for a moment, mm-hmm. could be something a little bit more than just a bipedal animal roaming around the forest in low numbers. Oh, it could be, absolutely. You know, there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's just like these bipedal canines. Uh, you know, um, we have them in a certain area in Pennsylvania. They're not dogmen. They don't look anything like dogmen. They don't act like dogmen. They're not seen on all fours. And, and, you know, they seem to stay in this one area of the state, central Pennsylvania, and then they have been seen in other states where they are staying in a certain area. They're not roaming all over the state. And, um, uh, you know, could they be flesh and blood? Mm, yeah. Could they be interdimensional? Mm, yeah. Uh, could they be skinwalkers? Yeah. I mean, it's up to us to prove what they are or to try to find out what they are. Uh, whether we get to do that or not is, you know, pretty much anyone's guess. But um, when I read stuff where uh, people are saying that, you know, they're, they're alien life or they are um, demons uh, conjured up by the devil, and that's where I get a little skeptical. Don't blame you on there, you know, because in the end, we're dealing with theory of what this creature could be. But there's a lot of researchers out there, coast to coast, and if we throw mm-hmm. in the northern coast, another coast, you mm-hmm. know, that are strongly adamant that anything that First Nations people say is 
just legend that isn't true, and they'll even say it isn't true without fact-checking. They will say that we are 100% dealing with an animal of some sort here, and I don't buy it. I just no, don't I don't buy it. it. I mean, look, uh, the the stories of the indigenous uh, from the indigenous uh, have been around for hundreds of years, and their descriptions of things that have been found, you know, over time uh, by non-indigenous, uh, a lot of times leads you to believe that you know, uh, just through the evidence or through the research, that you know they know something we don't. And, um, uh, you know, before I sit down and read somebody's paper on why they think uh, Bigfoot is um, a UFO co-pilot or a a demon conjured up from hell, uh, I'm going to believe pretty much what the the indigenous put out there because, uh, you know, pretty much everything they've said and till this day, is still said, uh, has proven to be correct. Not only in description, but habitat, um, areas uh, where they roam. Um, I mean, you can get a lot of information from those folks, and I, and I keep in touch with them over these cryptids, because I don't know if I'm dealing with a flesh-and-blood creature, an interdimensional creature, or I'm dealing with a skinwalker. So... I'm just going to keep all my cards, you know, on the table and and uh, take it uh, verbatim of what they're telling me is a fact. A mm-hmm. couple questions from Eric in the Space Out Radio chat room on Spreaker for you. He is asking, Butch, since Bigfoot seems to be a little bit camera shy, what would you suggest to obtain evidence? The only thing that you're going to be able to obtain evidence with is a, a, a camera of some sort, whether it be a surveillance camera or video cam, uh, and, you know, have that monitor the area you're researching, whether it be a trail or maybe an old abandoned building or an uh, an old cave or, uh, um, you know, anything down that line. But then again, it's just like you said earlier, Dave, you know, these things have been known to tear cameras apart. Uh, or just walk by one and all you get is a blurry, fuzzy picture of something. Uh, So when we do our cameras, we put them high, point them low, uh, spread them out so they're covering a large area. So if something would walk, say, between two of the four cameras, there's a pretty good chance that we're going to get something on the other cameras. Now, if all four cameras are destroyed up in a tree, I would be a little leery about putting them back there again. <laughs> but there's something there. I mean, you know, you're not going to get, uh, no deer is going to get that high. And and they're very well covered. I mean, they're in a steel cage. Uh, some, nobody's going to come along and just start beating on them with an axe or something. Um, and I, I think that, and uh, there's another little... Um, uh, trick that we've been trying, uh, especially when we get around these old abandoned homes and stuff, uh, where there's a possibility, you know, we find deer carcasses close by, or we find remnants of deer carcasses in some reports, and um, getting wheat flour and a sifter, people know what a sifter is, 
and putting that inside at the entrance and around stairways and back doors and stuff like that and trying not to walk through it to see if you can get some kind of print, which will give you photographic evidence. You won't be able to cast it, but at least you'll get the picture. Um, uh, I don't think, look, look, when it comes down to it, how it's going to work out is going to be luck. You're going to be at the right place at the right time with the right equipment, and you're going to get something. Uh, it's not going to be, maybe it's not going to be a blurry picture. Maybe it's going to be a good photograph. Uh, maybe it's going to be a super good print uh, or a series of prints, which would be excellent. And, um, you know, that's just going to move things forward. Uh, the single print, the single right foot print, if I see one more of those, I'm going to die. I mean, every print is right footed. And there's only ever one, which automatically takes me back to, you know, I could buy that print on eBay. <laughs> so, um, and a lot has to do with how serious you're taking it. I mean, you know, you got to try to, and that's, this may sound really dumb, but you got to try to put yourself in their shoes and how they might think, as Neanderthals it may be, or as genius as it may be. Um, would a cave be a good spot to hide out? Would a uh, an old abandoned home or, or um, a, a building of some type, or or you know an old tunnel or something like that, or an old an old mine? Uh, just got to be careful where you're going, and you know take precautions and and the safety precautions to do that kind of stuff. But um, we look everywhere. I just don't walk through the woods. We don't just surveil the woods. On our next uh, trip up, uh, which will probably be in um, in that area in probably April, beginning of April, we're going to be looking at mines and a couple old buildings and some uh, old buildings that are attached to uh, old railroad stations up in the mountains that were relay stations and see if we can't find anything in there. Another question from Eric here. He is asking about your cameras that you use. Do you use lenses with image st stabilization? Uh, yeah, the, cam the surveillance cameras and our video cams all have image stabilization, and uh, three out of the five Nikons we use have uh, image stabilization lenses. Question from Joyce in the SOR Space Traveler. She is asking, Butch, what percentage of footprint castings do you think are fake? Uh, lots, lots. Um, there is a site, um, and it's not really a site. You can probably punch it up on Google. If you just put up, uh, punch into Google, uh, Bigfoot footprints. And uh, if you scroll through a couple of those, there's a one page that has every big footprint that was ever taken, a photograph of it. And, um, uh, you know, when you're looking at a print and it looks identical to the print taken by Patterson Gimlin, uh, and it's taken in, you know, upstate New York, a pretty good chance you're not dealing with Patty, which was, what, 50 years ago. Uh, and um, I, I, we keep one in the truck uh, just for reference. But every print that was ever taken that they consider to be a good print has identifying marks. 
And from the three-toed prints to the uh, cripple foot, I mean, it's a good thing to just, you know, put in one of those plastic sleeves and, you know, put in your pack or something like that. That If you do come across something before you do anything, take a good look at the print and see if it matches anything that's on that sheet. I think there's like 14 or 16 of them on there. But they are prints that were originally uh, put up as, you know, being good prints and taken. On that same page on Google, you're also going to find a page that looks similar, only has about 10 or 12 prints on it, uh, a little larger. They're black and white. Those are fakes, and they've been proven to be fakes, and they tell you who faked it. And uh, that's another good thing to carry with you is just a little reference guide to keep along the, uh, in your pack. But I would say probably 80%, maybe 85% are faked. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. What's the purpose of that? What do you think people are trying to do? Are, are we getting back to the whole 15 minutes of fame here? Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, before you know it, you know, they take the cast. The next thing is you'll either see them on their local newspaper front page uh, with a big, long story or in the local um, uh, radio show or um, on the Internet or there's a YouTube about it, and they walk you through how they found it and all this stuff. And, um, yeah, it boils right down to that, you know, that 15 minutes of fame, fortune, and glory. And what's funny is you never hear from them again. I mean, you'll hear them one time, and then, you know, somebody will question them on it, and then they just kind of vaporize, disappear. You never, they never do anything or find anything. Another question from Joyce here. She is asking, if frequency creates vibration, could the fuzziness in photos actually validate that Bigfoot is not earthly in origin? It could, yes. Sure. But then you would have to have that type of equipment out there to register that. Like, if you had a picture where it was, it's like the very frame you're looking at a frame where you're seeing something come into the frame it's perfectly clear and then there's a whole lot of vibration and the you know the camera shaking or whatever and now it's all blurred out but you have say a uh, portable seismograph uh planted near your cameras or hanging close to your cameras off the same tree then you got something then you really have something So for people who are going out into the wilderness to try and find this creature, mm-hmm. what do they bring with them? What would you not go into the field without if you were a complete amateur or someone who just has a an inkling that they think there might be something there and they want to go investigate it? Well, uh, before you even go out the door, you know, know where you're going. That's number one. Um, uh, don't wear any cologne or underarm spray or fancy hairspray or anything like that. Because you know, you're going out there, you're going to be kind of naked as far as the chemical are concerned. No smoking. Um, uh, a good digital camera doesn't have to be a real expensive camera. Just a good digital camera. A uh, single pole tripod. Uh, they call it tripod, but it's a single pole. Um, one of those for studying the camera, uh, binoculars, a compass, a uh, pad and paper, uh, a watch, 
so you can document things. Um, the trail you're on, maybe you can make a little map, uh, you know, uh, print out a little map on your computer and and what where you want to research and what that area is and uh, and start looking for the oddball things. Don't look for the obvious footprint because you may never find one of those. And besides that, your head's going to be facing the ground all the time. But uh, thanks, Eric. Eric just told me it's a monopod, and he's correct. Uh, <laughs> um, they're very, very expensive. You can get them at Staples for like eight, ten bucks. But um, another thing to look for is um, if you would find a um, a bird's nest in a tree. No birds in it, of course. It's been there a long time. An old nest. Now it's laying on the ground. Would you pick that up and take it for evidence? Sure you would. What do birds make nests out of? Garbage, hair, grass, leaves, hair. I guess the key word here is hair. Put it in a bag. Take some baggies with you. Take it home with you. Get it to somebody that can look and see if some of that hair is not squirrel or bear or whatever, that it might be something that's not supposed to be there. Um... Um, fruit that's been chewed on, um, maybe some bones that have teeth marks in. Uh, yeah, it could be a coyote, it could be a wild cat, it could be anything, but then again, if this creature is looking the way it's supposed to look, then those teeth marks are going to be totally different. They're going to be more in the human line of molars and, and, and things like that. Um... That, you know, that's pretty much what I would do if I had, you know, of course, take something for first aid or snake bite or a knife, you know, definitely something to hydrate yourself, water, you know, the normal things you would carry. But as far as what to look for, I mean, look for weird stuff. Look for tree branches that are snapped off. And when I say snapped off, I don't mean they dry rot and they fell off. Where, like, a tree branch that's like 12 feet in the air and it's snapped off like somebody grabbed it and broke it off and just left it hang there and it's a fresh tree i mean it's a good tree that doesn't happen uh if it would have been hit by lightning it'd be more burn marks but if it's a clean break and it just looks like somebody reached up there and broke it there's a good chance there's something big in the area that could do that couple more questions for you in a comment here from canadian joe at, on twitter at hashtag spaced out radio he is saying if proving bigfoot's real means it must be killed or put in captivity or to be studied etc i'd prefer it remains the stuff of legend there is a big big contingent of people out there butch myself included who mm-hmm. would agree with this statement that we so shouldn't have to kill one. We shouldn't put one in captivity. You know, what is your opinion of that? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. I know that there's a movement out there on this Killing Bigfoot program that's coming on, and um, I find that to be just nonsensical. <laughs> I mean, it just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, you know, if um, if the whole purpose of finding any creature would be to, you know, mount up the troops with high-powered weapons and go out there and just shoot everything till we got to what we wanted. Uh, that doesn't make any sense either. So um, we, don't, we don't carry firearms. We do carry um, uh, firearms that shoot a um, ghost gas and a, and a uh, ball, 69-caliber ball. They're air-compressed. They're used in all the zoos in the world to ward off uh, an attack of, you know, if something that we're not really wanting to run into, we run into. 
but we take no, uh, the only offensive weapon we would have uh, between any of us that are out there would be, you know, a knife or a spear. That's it. No more than that. And I think the idea of just going out there to hunt Bigfoot down or any other creature down and shoot it, and we'll get into a story uh, in a little later here, uh, where a guy had the perfect opportunity and had the wherewithal to do it, and he didn't do it. I have heard many stories like that where a hunter has had Bigfoot lined up, and they just mm-hmm. couldn't pull the trigger. It just seemed way too human. I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard a number of those. Oh, yeah. I, uh, there was one uh, right here in Pennsylvania where a group from Oklahoma was in here studying an archaeological site where there have been some big, Bigfoot uh, sightings, and there, it was kind of a, a combination of uh, archaeological and Bigfoot. And a gentleman was down at the, uh, he thought, uh, walking down toward a, a, a stream. He thought it was a fisherman down at the stream when it stood up. He said he was looking at a Bigfoot-type creature, but it was a totally human face. And he had a gun on him. He could have dropped it. And he said, I couldn't do it. He said, it was, looked too human. Question here from Joyce. She said, two cameras, one filming with the other camera in the field of view of the other. Do you think that would work? That's what we do. We, uh, what I, if, like, say, if we're going to watch a, a tree line, uh, I'll, I'll center one camera and have somebody go out there, and I can see the field of vision that they're in, and I'll have them move left or right till they get out of that field of vision, and then I'll bat- put set up the next camera where it overlaps that camera, and I'll do that with all four surveillance cameras. So I have, like, this large panoramic view. Even though I have four cameras, they're all overlapped by maybe a frame or two, and that really works nice. That really does. You, car- you can carry a lot of uh, uh, a lot of area. And even with two cameras with wide-angle lenses, just center one and have somebody walk out of the frame and put them back in the frame with the second camera, and you got it. Very simple. Everett is asking, but so many people believe that Bigfoot likes tobacco, and for reference point, I'm believing in this as well. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on this, and why no smoking? Um, if you're going to be around the cameras... Uh, or if you're close to the cameras, you know, somebody puffing on a pipe and blowing smoke in front of the cameras distorts what the camera's looking at. Uh, that's the only thing I meant by that. Uh, same thing, you'd find the same thing in a, if you were doing a paranormal investigation and you were smoking, it would look like a mist. Uh, of course, then somebody would say that it was uh, uh, some kind of paranormal experience. So if you're going to smoke, smoke behind the cameras or get away from the cameras or go downwind, you know. Um, but tobacco, yeah, that's, uh, that comes from the indigenous also. Um, I know a couple of researchers that when they go out, they actually take tobacco with them. And as they're going along their trek or around their camp, they, uh, sprinkle out tobacco as an offering. Have you ever tried that? Uh, I was with a group that tried it. Yes. Yeah. Before we went into an area, uh, they burned some sage, uh, said some uh, something in uh, Indian that I didn't understand, and then uh, uh, dropped tobacco. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did it work? Um, what we were looking for, yeah, yeah, I guess it did because uh, it was actually um, 
uh, a South Dakota tribe that had moved into Pennsylvania and they were having some issues at the home with a uh, a shadow in the corner of the kitchen, and that's the only place they ever saw it. And um, they followed, you know, they followed the spirit path, so they knew what to do and what not to do. And uh, we went up to um, pretty much photographing the stuff. And while we were walking around the house, I was down in the basement, and I found an eagle feather stuck in the concrete. Now, it's a solid concrete wall, so how did an eagle feather get stuck in there? I mean, I couldn't pull it out. I would have destroyed it if I pulled it out. But how to get there to begin with? There's no holes. If it was a hole, I should have been able to take it out. But when I looked at it and really, really looked at it with a light and everything, um, it was embedded in the concrete. Now, the son-in-law uh, is something, uh, he has something to do with the tribe in South Dakota. And, um, I mean, he has his headdress there and his war club and everything else, and all that's all eagle feathers, and he has a federal permit to have it. So I don't know if they brought something with them from the... Um, from the tribe uh, to Pennsylvania, or it followed them, or what it is. Uh, but um, we think it worked because uh, they never called back after that night. They said they haven't had any experiences, so we'll just let it go and see what happens. Got a question from Darren in the Space Out Radio chat room on Spreaker. He is asking, Butch, have you ever heard of anybody finding two sets of prints that are identical but found by different researchers. No, no, I haven't. Mm-mm. That's amazing. That yeah, one of the one of the things that also also amazed me in that all along that line is that uh, one researcher will find a print every time he goes out. A print, not more than one, just a print, a single print every time he goes out. So how does that happen? Well, I can tell you this. The two prints that we have found, I mm-hmm. believe, are both right foot. Okay. Now i got to go and search through my photos here to confirm that. Because I think that's kind of interesting. Because I know in the one area where we found the second print, there was no other prints around. And... Even when uh, Mike, our researcher, found the first print, which was on a logging road. And if you knew Mike, he's about 5'11", 265, big guy, carries a, a, a bundle of weight with him. You would know that, you know, if he jumped up and down to try and create footprints and this wasn't going in into the, into the hard-packed road, gravel road you know that something heavy had to make that print, yet there was just one. So I'm looking at the one photo here right now, and it's definitely a right footprint. And I'm going to go to the second one here. And looking at this one, it's another right print as well, yet a larger size. Why do you think that people only ever find just one print? You know, that's that's pretty much been a mystery that's been talked about so many times already um, where um, some of the explanations are that, you know, one foot hit soft ground, the other foot hit hard ground. or But that's a little hard to explain when it's snow on the ground or mud. Um, 
why there's only one footprint ever found and it's always the right is beyond me. I mean, I've never figured that one out. And um, it's uh, it's <laughs> it, there. It's so common that it's it's almost funny. I mean, that people only ever find one footprint and it's the right footprint. Now, I have seen reports where there have been a right and a left, but then there's only been a right and a left, and that's it. No more. A right, a left, and done. Like one step. And you would think the the weight of this creature would leave a horrendous print. And that's the mystery. See, that to me does, you know, and maybe I'm looking at this way too naively, and you're someone with way more experience than I have in the field. But when I only see one print in an area, like the the second print we found was in a mossy area. Mm-hmm. Okay? And you could see where the toes kind of pushed into the moss. It's an 11, 11, 11 and a half inch print by about five and a half inches. And I guess what I'm looking at is... If we're in that soft a ground, why would there only be one? That's what doesn't make sense to me. Because there should have been a trail. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's just another one of them that... uh, Uh, here's another one. Here, here's sure. another strange one. One print was found, and about oh god, the guy. I think the guy, if I remember right, was like eighteen, seventeen, eighteen foot away. The left footprint was found. Now that can't be the stride, but it could be a running stride. You know, a running jump off of one foot. Because the left foot that was found, I didn't believe it was 15 or 17 feet away, was um, kind of longer, like it's like it slipped, you know, when it came down. And it, the print thing is, I mean, there are just hundreds of these prints out there. And, um, you know, some in grass, some in mud, and some here and some there. I mean, but they're everywhere. And then, you know, you have to really, when you're looking at a print, you know, when you clean the print off after you get it home, it's dried up and everything like that. And I did tell Darren, who asked this question, dental stone is the best stuff to use. I was just uh, going to ask you that. Way better than plaster. It'll last longer, easier to clean off. And then you want to start looking for dermal ridges. Now, you find dermal ridges in a print, you're not going to find that in a fake print. That's a real print. A little hard to do dermal ridges unless you're some kind of master sculptor. And very few uh, prints are found with dermal ridges. But if you found dermal ridges in a print, I would say you're probably 99% that you have a real print. That's a hard thing to find, my friend. A hard thing to find. Yeah, it is. And, you know, when you get that print home and you get it cleaned off um you know you don't want to use a stiff brush like a wire brush and start whacking at it 
I mean, a soft brush, a little water, uh, dental stone's not going to come apart on you. Um, if it's got embedded leaves or something in there, you can take a tweezers and kind of pull them out or just, or just clean them off, you know, that way. You want to be very gentle with it because you want to get, the next thing you want to do is get a magnifying glass. You want to start looking at those dermal ridges. You want to start looking, maybe there's a cut, uh, you know, a wound that's been healed or, or, or. Or like Cripplefoot with the one toe stuck way out to the side and a large uh, bulge on one side, which would probably emanate a broken foot at one time. So, you know, those those are the things uh, that you need to look for. Have you ever investigated the diet that these creatures may be having in your area of expertise? Do you believe that it is an omnivore? Or do you believe that it is more vegetarian? Butch, are you hanging out with us, or did we lose you on the air here? No, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, now we can. That's twice you've cut out here in about 30 seconds. Oh, well, I'm not even touching the phone. I'm on a speakerphone. Weird. Okay, well, anyway, um, um, uh, deer carcasses have been found with the liver missing and the neck's broken. That's not a predator. A predator would tear that deer apart, like a bear or wolf or any other canine or anything else, badger, it doesn't matter. Um, one of the things that, um, that have come up many times in the past have been folks that say, well, they find a lot of berry stones and stuff in scat, and the scat is way too big to be, you know, the type of animal that would live in that particular area. So they're probably a combination of both. They, whatever they find, they can eat, they eat. I mean, if, if, the, if they're in a forest area where fruit and that kind of stuff is sparse, then a deer kill would be obvious. And if, uh, you know, they're running around where there's an orchard close by, well, they're going to be eaten in the orchard. Mm-hmm. So basically you think it's on the environment? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you I think, think it's where they are. Do you think they're a predatory hunter when it comes to game? I don't think they'd be much of a much to get away from. I mean, these things can cover a lot of ground. I mean, they're very large, and there's many reports where they're so fast. You know, they run across a road, and or or they they'll they'll jump a tree line. And, you know, no problem there. So you know, a deer that would be be feeding on something. I mean, as stealthy as they're supposed to be, walking up and whacking one over the head and break or just grabbing and breaking its neck wouldn't be hard at all. Not for that type of creature. That reminds me of the story that. Lyle Blackburn told us on this show back in April of last year when he described a story of a very avid hunter who was also a military pilot. He was up in his deer stand hunting hogs, and he baited the hogs with some corn on the ground, and as the hogs gathered out of the corner of his eye, he saw what it looked to be a man running tree to tree, and it wasn't until this Sasquatch jumped out from behind the tree, grabbed the biggest hog, and picked it up and slammed its head against the tree, killing it instantly, and then throwing it over its shoulder, did the man realize that 
it was hunting for bacon as well. So it does mm-hmm. happen. Sure. Yeah, it does. Um, there have been uh, uh, deer that have been hung up in trees by their hindquarters and the chest area ripped open and the only thing missing was the liver. And why would it take a liver? Well, look at well, the liver's pure protein, damn near. Could be the Chinese, too. That's what mm-hmm. they do yeah. on the black market for the black bears around this area. Yeah. Shar mm-hmm. mm-hmm. is asking, the one print thing could be that when they realize they've left a print, they go in another direction. That's true, sure. Yeah. They could just... The, 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 from the size of these things, as described, they have to have a huge stride. So if they could hop off on one foot, you know, and they could go in another direction, you know, the guys that are following that footprint are looking straight ahead because that's where the footprint's going, and he could have went the other way. Mm-hmm. Darren has a pair of questions. He is asking, where do you think the best place on the planet right now, in your opinion, is to find a Bigfoot? And I'm going to answer that by voting my area here in British Columbia. Yep. British Columbia, uh, Washington State, Oregon. Yep, those are the places. I just have to uh, say, Darren you're, in, Darren, you're in Oregon. You're right in the heart of things down there, man. Right in the heart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. If he's in Oregon, that's where he's at. Mm-hmm. He's also asking part two of the question, have tooth puncture marks ever been found? And I know the answer to this, and it is yes. There was a set of teeth puncture marks found on a bone near Mount St. Helens. And I know of one other set of canine prints that have been found, and that was by frequent Space Out Radio guest Edie Kaito in Indiana. And when she sent the measurements of the teeth prints that she had to the people in Washington State, the teeth marks were identical, and they were larger than any bear. They were larger than any cougar or anything like that. It was a completely different set of teeth prints on there. Now, the ones found in Washington State, they were in a bone, like an old deer Mm -hmm. bone or something along those lines. Edie actually got hers in... I'm not sure if it was it was a ball because she has a gifting site. It, it was either in a ball or a a piece of plastic or something along those lines, and that's where she got her teeth prints as well. So yes, they have been found. Have you have you heard about that, Butch? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and that's and one of the things that we look for, what we're looking for with our our bipedal canine research is. Uh, we're looking for any bone that we can find. I don't care what it's from, if it's got teeth marks in it or claw marks, because uh, teeth marks and claw marks in all animals are extremely different. I mean, you can take a koi wolf and a coyote, which are related, and uh, uh, teeth and claw marks are totally different. Take that same koi wolf and match it up against a wolf, a gray wolf out of Canada, and totally different. So if you find bone... Or, or even even uh, a hide that's been ripped up. I mean, the, the the type of claw marks left from ripping, that can all be identified. So if you have something where, um, in our case with the canines, 
if we have something uh, that is larger than a wolf, which it should be, then we have something. Um, if we have the uh, same uh, chew marks or claw marks of a wolf, then we're dealing with a wolf. But if we have something much larger, which it would be, again, because of the size of this thing, uh, the jaw would be wider and the chew marks would be uh, much longer and the punctures would be different, totally different. Darren is asking if it was similar to a gorilla by chance. Uh, I have no idea on that. Butch, maybe you could fill us in. Uh, there have been a lot of studies over the years that I've read anyway, uh, where the silverback mountain gorilla and uh, the lowlands gorilla, uh, which are similar except the, I believe the silverback's the larger of the two, um, have very different bite patterns, and uh, they're more of a, uh, when they bite, it's more of a crushing bite. You know, they're not biting to chew meat off the bone like a, a canine would be. Uh, when they bite into a bone, they just destroy it. They just crush it, um, and uh, which is surprising because an alligator, uh, which has, you know, many tons of pressure, will leave tooth marks on a, on a bone. Uh, human or otherwise, and the same thing with a um, a shark, uh, a great white. Uh, its teeth will break before it actually punctures any bone. Um, so you'll get uh, marks on the bone, but they're not going to be like a bite mark like you would get off of a cougar or something like that. Trip has a question for you in the Space Out Radio chat room on Spreaker. He is asking, Butch, do you believe in ley lines, and if so, how do you find them? Well, um, let me. I, I have a thing here. I can give him a name to look up. Um, they were discovered by a gentleman who was an archaeologist, actually. And um, uh, there's a really good article that tells you how to do it, how to do ley lines, and. Um, uh, let me just pull it up here quick. Uh, and his name, uh, if you want to Google it, is Alfred Watkins, W-A-T-K-I-N-S. And he's actually the first guy that started using ley lines, and he started using them over in uh, England um, at an archaeological site. And then he went on to uh, Stonehenge and proved that they do work. And you can do them with a regular map, even at your own area, uh, by, you know, a certain way of uh, drawing a circle. And then there, some maps already have lines on. It tells you how to do that and how to connect them. And you can actually make your own ley lines. But he, he, uh, and there's a, he has a good book out, too. It's not a very big book, but um, and you probably get it on eBay. But his name is Alfred Watkins. And uh, smart guy to figure that out. <laughs> Let's get to another question here. This one comes from Joyce. She is asking, assuming there are two different types of Bigfoot creatures that are witnessed, one of alien origin and the other is earthly, would they both eat earth plants and animals, or do you think that they would add to the problem of identifying the scat of confirming the species? Hmm. That's a good question. I wouldn't even know an answer to that. I would say probably off the top of my head, well, yeah, maybe. But I guess there would be a bunch of other things that would come into that. 
Well, let's break that question down then. Okay. Do you do you believe then that there are different species of Sasquatch walking around? Oh, there could be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, some when you look at some of the reports, you have uh, maybe sightings. And I'm just going to use a state now for for giggles here. There are some reports where they're much smaller, uh, much more uh, in the realm of, you know, like six foot like a human and more in, in arms and legs are not too much different. And then, of course, then you go to the other side, which where they're much taller, much heavier, much stockier. And so, yeah, there could be different species. And then, you know, of course, you have white ones, you have gray ones, you have brown ones, you have black ones. Um, Yeti comes into play, which is, again, uh, totally different. Uh, so, yeah, I guess there could be a lot of different species. I know the other sizes, and apparently the ones that are in the Louisiana Bayou, they're stocky, they're shorter, they're really pissed off compared to the 7 to 10-footers that seem to be roaming around the forests of Cascadia out here on the west coast maybe it's the marijuana that keeps them calm around here not too sure however it seems there's a different attitude the further east you go from the western Bigfoot from British Columbia to the northern part of California into the south and then over to the east have you noticed that as well yes uh, especially when you get down into the Florida area where you have the swamp ape and um uh, if you come north up the coast, uh, sizes change, colors change, um, behavior changes, uh, where most often or not, uh, the, the, it seems like the further northeast you go, the more they play hide-and-seek, where they'll just stick their head around a tree and watch you. Uh, then you get a little further north, and that's when the rock-throwing starts. I mean, there's... Uh, the, the the stories from especially from the Florida area up the coast up the east coast of the United States on that note we're going to hop out for a break because that's kind of our cue around here we'll finish answering that question right after this you're listening to Spaced Out Radio Butch Wachowski is our guest one hour to go with Butch Wachowski's Strange Days right here on the Mighty SOR the SOR Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a Sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. SOR Sightlines, your answers are a click away. Have you got your Cosmic Passport? If you need one, tune in to Cosmic Passport on Spaced Out Weekend. This is Elizabeth Anglin, ET experiencer, spirit medium, and host of Cosmic Passport. Each weekend, I'll be bringing you interviews and support from other paranormal experiencers and the best in intuitive spiritual guidance from across the globe. It's all happening starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time, midnight Eastern, on spacedoutradio.com. Hi there. I'm Butch Witkowski, lead investigator with Cop. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. 
Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Wachowski's Strange Days. Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, Two Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have, questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com. Have you checked out the SOR Spacewire at spacedoutradio.com yet? Every day we post the latest stories regarding the weird, strange, and completely unbelievable. From cryptid and UFO sightings to the conspiracy world, we tackle it all. Hi there, I'm Eric Markham, Space Out Radio's news director for the SOR Spacewire. And if you have a story, I want to hear it. Email me at news at spaceoutradio.com. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Become more intimate and interactive with Spaced Out Radio. Join our Space Travelers Club with your new membership. For $5 a month, we'll provide you with special access to the website, monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings, along with monthly newsletter, private interviews, and more. Sign up today to be part of Spaced Out Radio's experience. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio or our website, including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today. Don't have time to listen to Spaced Out Radio Live? Wherever you are, the car, the office, the shower, or even if you're traveling, we're right here for you. Each Spaced Out Radio show can be found on iTunes, TuneIn, and on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. It's the perfect way for you to catch up on our shows. For more information, just head over to our website, spacedoutradio.com, and tune in to us today. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. 
Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com. The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and hashtag Spaced Out Radio. And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program. Earlier today, Mr. Bumblefoot, our music man, was giving me a hard time that I own more guitars than I do no guitar chords. Four guitars to three chords. The average is not good right now. We're working on changing that. Anyhow, gotta love Mr. Bumblefoot, Ron Bumblefoot Thal, the official sound of the mighty SOR. Tomorrow night on the show, we're going to continue the Bigfoot talk. We're talking with Todd Neese, a West Coast researcher out of Oregon. We're going to learn a little bit more about the big hairy beast that roams Cascadia here, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time at spacedoutradio.com. We want to say hello to everyone listening in on Renegade Talk Radio. We are live in Las Vegas each and every night. Thank you for tuning us in. If you're listening in on the United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us as well. And of course, if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, please remember the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Triscadecophobia is your password. Triscadecophobia. Make sure you use it wisely if you don't like the number 13 like me. Because that's your SOR, Space Travelers, password of the night. Remember, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio on Twitter. Use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio if you want to chat with me or make some cool comments as well. You guys know who you are. You're doing a great job in there. Thank you so much. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. You can go to our YouTube channel, collect all of our archives, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn, download this show and others on iTunes, and of course our website is spacedoutradio.com. 
while there. We have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club for just 5 bucks a month. Butch Witkowski from UF4Cop.com, headquartered in Pennsylvania, is with us. His final Monday of the month feature called Strange Days. Butch's next appearance will be on Monday, February 27th. Butch, welcome back. Good to be back on. The questions keep on coming for you, my friend, so I'm just running with it if you're cool with that. I'm cool with that. Excellent. Let's get to Darren's question here. Darren is asking in the Space Out Radio chat room on Spreaker, Butch, do you know of any locations that used to have Bigfoot sightings that are no longer active? Uh, Yeah. Uh, What comes to mind is upstate New York. Uh, Used to have a, a good deal of them, and that seemed to just not be there much anymore at all. And another area was um, uh, southern Virginia, um, uh, around the Appalachian. In that area, there were a lot of sightings. That seemed to dry up, too. Now, are they territorial, or do they move? You know, nobody knows. There's, nobody's really ever tracked them that far. But uh, they're still in the central U.S., uh, of course, all of, pretty much all of Canada, and the West Coast still... Pretty dominant out there. What about Bluff Creek? Do we still know if there's action down there? Of course, Bluff Creek is famous for the Patterson-Gimlin film. Right, and I think there have been so many researchers down there, and there's really not anything come out of Bluff Creek for a long time. Um, Another place that seemed to dry up was in um, Ohio, uh, which would be eastern Ohio. And uh, the sightings there were pretty uh, numerous over the years, and they've dwindled down to just a few. Follow-up question from Darren. Why can't we just jump on a sighting that just happened then send out a team to that location to find it? That way we could protect this endangered species. Well, that's the reason we have the response vehicles we have here. We have two of them, and, you know, one's in the eastern part of the state, one's in the northern, uh, western part of the state. And just for an instance, uh, we had a call in West Virginia not too awful long ago last year, and a lady found a, a large foot in her driveway. And we saw the pictures and couldn't make anything out of the pictures, but it did look like a large foot, uh, uh, just a foot, nothing else. And uh, we left, uh, we got the call at 10, we left uh, Pennsylvania at 11 o'clock, we got there around 8 in the morning, uh, viewed the foot and determined it was a a large barefoot. Uh, But, you know, we try to get there as fast as we can if we get the information right away. Uh, Unfortunately, most people, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a UFO sighting or, or anything else, we get called after the fact and sometimes it's days, weeks, and sometimes even months and years. But if we get something that's just happened, uh, we'll roll on it right away. There's no no problem there. What's that timeline between you picking up the phone, or pardon me, the person having the sighting, and them finally having the wherewithal to maybe make a call to you or someone of your experience and ilk to get that information there? Just picking up the phone or uh, well, hitting, the, hitting the if they hit the website if I mean if they make the report on the website I mean I get that instantly uh, even when I'm even when I'm not in the office uh, I have a computer that's set up just to do that 
and I'll, I'll get a series of, of noises off the computers. I can't really tell you what they sound like because I can't make that sound. But, um, I mean, I can get out of the bedroom, go online, and answer them right away. Uh, give them my phone number or, or have them send me something, email, what they got. And if it's if it's viable and it's it just happened, um, uh, my closest researcher to me is like 25 minutes away. Uh, I pick him up and we roll and we're on our way. But what I'm saying is, what's the time difference between that sighting? Is it is it days? Is it a week? Two weeks? What's the average that you are dealing with? Because there's a lot of time that can go on in between between someone having the experience and then getting the the guts to give someone like you a phone call. Average a day or less. In the case of the uh, case of the foot, uh, they found it at eight o'clock in the morning when the woman was taking her grandkids out to get on the school bus. Uh, they called, we got the call at 10 o'clock that evening. We left at 11. So when you have that close of a timeline between something happening and you finally getting there, Mm -hmm. the evidence should still be quite fresh. How often are, are you getting any sightings or any further information that is fresh? Um, recently, uh, uh, with some UFO reports, we've gotten those within, uh, minutes and one while it was happening. And fortunately it was, um, just a matter of, um, five blocks from where I live. So it was a matter of just grabbing a jacket and jumping in the truck and driving five blocks to the guy's house and looking at what he was seeing and what he was photographing. Don't get that lucky all the time, though. Gotcha. Let's get to another question here. This one comes from Joe in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Never know if it's Joe or his incredible mane of hair that's asking the question, because he does have nice hair, Butch. Okay. Make you and I jealous. He's asking... Uh, I like that. Hair. uh, (laughs) Yeah. He's asking... Butch, what do you think about the upside-down trees in places like Vancouver Island? Is this Bigfoot activity, and is this only found on the West Coast? No, activity's all over the place. I mean, there uh, recently reports have come out of uh, Texas, uh, Florida, Texas, North Carolina. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, Beaufort, North Carolina, um, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, Massachusetts, I believe, and uh, Colorado. So, I mean, they come from all over the place. And those are recent. Those are recent reports. What do you think this upside down tree phenomena is? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I really don't. I mean, it is a little unbelievable that any type of creature, even Bigfoot, could turn a, a large, say, 500 to 1,000 pound, if not more, tree upside down. Yeah, I, you know, I've only ever seen one report like that, and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. So I, re- I really don't know anything about it or what would cause it or why. Oh, you have to check it out. You have to check it out. 
It's it's pretty incredible. Let's get a follow-up question from Joe here. He is saying, if the killing Bigfoot guys get a Bigfoot and the species is recognized, how do you think, Butch, this will change Bigfoot research and the public's habit of hiking and camping in remote areas? Oh, change it immensely. That's just why, like, you know, we just had a recent uh, report, a canine report, and a gentleman went to the game commission to report it, which was right up the road a few miles, and um, they said, oh, it's probably just a large dog, and that was it. And he stood there adamantly saying, like, I've been hunting here for 20 years. He said, I know what a dog looks like. I know what a wolf looks like. I know what a coyote looks like. I know what a fox looks like. And it ain't none of the above. And the reason that I think many researchers run and block walls when they deal with game commissions and park rangers is that very reason. That affects the people that are going to go in there and spend money during the season. Whether they're going there to camp or rent boats and fish or whatever or hike. I mean, that's just lost money. And you know how the government is. They don't want to lose a dime, especially yours. (laughs) Well, exactly. Let's go to Bill's question. Is there any chance at all that we as humans share a common ancestor with any of the Bigfoot lines? What do you think? We could, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, look at a picture of a Neanderthal. Or or before that, uh, in the Pleiades uh, series of uh, human, uh, I mean, they look like apes. So, yeah, it could be something. There could be a common marker there. We're going to get to a couple more questions here before we're going to switch topics. This one comes from Everett. With all the talk of Bigfoot possibly being an alien, Butch, have you ever compared UFO reports with Bigfoot sightings? Yeah, we did that a couple times already, only because somebody put something out and it just caught our eye and we went into the UFO databases and then went into the, uh, to the Bigfoot databases to see if there was any commonality. We could find none. None. Uh, you know, somebody said, well, you know, we had this sighting and we reported it and then we had a Bigfoot that afternoon walking around, blah, 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 and we found the report of the UFO, but we didn't find any report of a Bigfoot. And a Bigfoot database is is pretty much kept up to date. On hashtag Spaced Out Radio on Twitter, John is asking, have you ever heard of a lot of different Bigfoot sightings in other continents or any other islands? Oh, yeah. I mean, they've been spotted in many islands, um, uh, not so much in the Pacific, um, but um, off the coast of Alaska, Russia, uh, uh, Japan. Uh, I mean, there there have been a lot of sightings over the years in many parts of this world. Now, they all have different names for them, and some of the descriptions vary deeply. I mean, you know, like some are tall and skinny, some are short and fat, some are like we know here. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they've been seen all over the world. Darren is asking, what will you do if you go to a location and come face-to-face with a Bigfoot, specifically? Mm, Probably just stand there and stare like a dumbass. I really don't know what I would do. I mean, that's... I've thought about that with canines also. Uh, What would I do if I come face-to-face with one? Best I can come up with to be honest, is probably just stand there and stare. I can honestly say that I would do the exact same thing too. I would just, you know, at that point, and I always say, Butch, in situations like that, for a lot of people who've never had an experience, 
you don't think of pulling out your camera. You don't think of, you know, grabbing uh, or running up to it or anything. You just really want to take it all in. You mm-hmm. just want to take that moment for what it's worth and just say, wow, this is happening in front of me. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, there it is. Here, I've been searching for it the entire time. There it is. And exactly. when, I, when I had my close encounter with a couple of extraterrestrials and with the two Sasquatch that I saw, I was within 100 feet of both of them. And I just watched and I just, I wanted to take it all in. I wanted to remember the color of the trees, the, the, the temperature, the, the sky, what color was it? You know, the time of day, you're trying to take it all in. And even though you're only seeing it for a brief moment in time, it's amazing how much you can take in when you just open your eyes and just let it sink in. It, it really is an incredible feeling. Yeah. And that, it, you know, I mean, just human nature, what you would... You wouldn't know what to do. I mean, uh, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, why don't you just walk up and shake its hand? Yeah, well, you might walk up and he might rip your arm off and beat you to death with it, too. I mean, I'm just, I, I thought about it many times, what I would do if I ran into any type of those creatures, and I would just, like, stand there and stare at them. I don't know what else I'd do. I think the camera, even though I probably have one hanging around my neck, would be the, probably the last thing I thought of. I would be, like you said, just taking it all in and, and trying to observe everything I could. And I hope you get that opportunity, my friend. And I hope I get oh. it. I hope I get it again as well. Because I'll tell you, when I saw the first Bigfoot hiding behind a tree and kind of peering in and out, and then the second one was shortly after that. To this day, like even talking about the story, I get goosebumps talking about the story because that second one was literally the biggest thing I have ever seen in in my life. You know, mm-hmm. you know, walking on two feet. Now, you know, you go to the zoo, you see an elephant, or you go to the aquarium, you see a whale. It's not it's not that big. Okay, or a giraffe or something along those lines. But when you see the this big hairy creature striding through an area and I wish it would have looked at me. That's the only thing I really wish is that second one would have looked at me, you know, because it would have been awesome if that happened. But I got a full right profile. I could see the ar- the right arm. Uh, it was uh, the the bush was up to about its waist, but from say the from the lower waist up, I saw the entire right profile. And as it walked through the trees, I got to see the back. And the one thing that I will always remember is there was no neck. It just went back to head. Mm-hmm. And it was gorgeous. It was a it was a a lighter reddish brown color. You know, and the sun was shining off of it and it was just absolutely beautiful. And if I could get that 5 to 6 seconds of time back, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's and and you know the the people that have had those close encounters. You know when you read the report of whoever was taking the report, you know they're just speechless. They they don't know what to say. They don't know. They they try to describe um, 
what they saw, but uh, they're just in awe. They're just, they can remember certain things about it that just struck them as being uh, either odd or really beautiful or uh, scary. And it's uh, pretty much it. I mean, they just stand there, and like I said, I'd probably stand there and stare. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you this. I didn't feel any fear with it, mm-hmm. but I did know, you know, you get that internal instinct that it's probably time to leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know you know what I'm saying? And that's kind of how I felt, is that it was just, it was time to leave, and okay, thank you for letting me see you. We're out of here. And we yeah, just... we've had that. We've had that in every canine, canine upright canine report that we took, where people said uh, it was just uh, time to get out of Dodge, or uh, if I stayed there, something really bad was going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And they just either backed away or walked away. Couple more questions here before we change topics here at the bottom of the hour. Mike is asking in the SOR Space Travelers, Butch, have you ever seen the Yellowstone video of Bigfoot? And if so, what is your opinion of that? Uh, I saw that video. Uh, I'm still up in the air on that one a little bit. Um, And it could be just there are a couple versions out there of it. Uh, And I think some of them were just redone. You know what I mean? Somebody copied from one, copied and pasted to another copy. And I may just have a bad copy that I'm looking at. Uh, I would really like to find the original, but I tried looking for that, and I can't find the original. I can find a lot of copies where somebody took it from, you know, a blog site or or YouTube and put it on another, you know, on their site, and then somebody copied it from them, but I can't f- find the original, and I'd really like to see that original. So if anybody knows where that original is, let me know. Do you think it's real? Uh, it It sure looks that way. But like I said, there's there's just a couple spots in there that give me some questions, and and I would really like to see the the original, uh, because the what I saw that questioned me could just be from the copy and paste. Well, what part are you having troubles with? Mm, the step, the 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 movement. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you on that. I would agree with you on that. I was going to see if we were the same there, and we are. I'm just not sure about that one. And and the yeah. green the graininess of the video also has me a little bit. Yeah, and that and that again that could be just from somebody you know taking it from one site to another and another and another because you know every time you take something, uh, even if it's a photograph, if if I take a photograph uh, from my camera and put it on my computer, uh, and I enhance it and I use the the, the camera's enhancement, it's different. So uh, I have to, when I take a photograph out of the camera, I have to put it in RAW and then take it from there and move it into a JPEG or something like that right. after I've downloaded it into a RAW, RAW shot. Right. Two questions from Joyce, and then we're going to change up topics here. Question one is, Butch, do you believe climate change has anything to do with Bigfoot migrating out of their familiar wilderness areas? It could, yes. Sure. It could. It could be too hot, too cold. Uh, the food, the food supply would change. Maybe uh, the growing, uh, the the growing season changes, so they could move on from that, or they could move on to an area for uh, a winter where they have more protection, more caves, more you know places they can get to. 
that's if they need that. In your opinion, do you believe Bigfoot is a violent creature? Mm, no, you know, the, the stories in the, that we found on violence and, you know, where there was uh, injuries or death involved were few and far between, and they were way, way back in time in the 1800s, and mostly, you know, there was the cowboy stuff. And, um, you know, some trappers had some issues. Uh, there were some people that were killed or some people that were maimed or some animals that were killed, uh, hunting dogs and stuff. But in recent times, uh, with the exception of a couple rocks being thrown at you, I haven't found anything where anybody was injured. Changing topics here for the final half hour of the show. There's an interesting topic that you and I discussed beforehand in regards to any potential connection between paranormal activity in one's house and UFOs. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to go into some detail on that. Well, we got a call from a gentleman, uh, again, not too far from where I live, which is getting kind of scary now because we're getting all these people all around me. But uh, uh, he wanted me to take a look at a picture of a UFO that he shot. He came home from work, and, you know, he just happened to look up when he was getting out of his vehicle, and there was this triangle, and I thought, well, this is pretty cool because I've had some uh, triangle reports in that exact area uh, since 2013. I think we have five, and this would have been number six. So I made an appointment to see him, but we had to cancel because of snow, and then uh, I got him after the holidays. So um, I get down to the house, and um, we go inside, and I've I just got a really weird feeling. And again, I'm not a paranormal investigator, don't claim to be. I've been on a couple of them uh, with people that know what they're doing, so I'm kind of going by what I watched them do, I did. And uh, that's when he started telling me about the strange stuff that was happening since this took place, this sighting. And when I started to question about, well, what are you talking about, what strange took place, uh, he showed me some photographs of uh, uh, shadow beings in, uh, standing in the corner of a room, and uh, one tall and two shorter. And um, then he started telling me a little bit about the house and weird things happening throughout the house. They don't even use the second floor anymore. It's a very large house. Um, they don't use the downstairs, uh, the basement where they have the washer and dryer. The wife runs down, throws the stuff in there, and runs right back up. He will not go down there anymore. He'll stand at the top of the steps, but he ain't going down. And um, just uh, weird things, uh, moving around, uh, doing this, doing that, uh, stuff you wouldn't expect. So I went out to the truck, and I got an EMF meter, and... um, uh, got my tri-field meter, turned it on as I was walking up the steps and from the truck to the steps, maybe 10 feet, the needle was already starting to pin. And I thought, that's odd. So uh, I knew that it had fresh battery in it and, and uh, I recalibrated it. It was right on calibration. So I just left it off till I got inside the house. And I turned it on and it pinned it again and pretty much pinned it in every room in the house. And that's very odd because, um, you know, check the electric, you know, in the walls and stuff like that. And that was normal. There was no grounds and uh, no ground switch with a neutral or anything like that, which would cause an issue. Um, 
held it to myself, uh, it was fine. Held it to the microwave, it was fine. I mean, you know, but when I started getting out into the open of the living room, dining room, uh, den area, uh, kitchen area, and um, a master bath that's on the first floor, uh, this thing would just pin itself. Um, uh, issues upstairs in the home were um, these shadow uh, beings, singular or multiple, uh, at the edge of the bed or, you know, around that room, uh, a dressing area room. Um, I did the child's room. There's one-and-a-half-year-old boy lives there uh, with his parents. I did his room. The needle didn't even move in his room at all, anywhere. His bed, his crib, his... Uh, uh, his clothing rack, uh, his closets, everything was, uh, needle never moved other than normal, re, re, you know, residual. And, but, you know, when I got into their room, the needle pin, then he talked about the upstairs and, uh, in, the, in the attic, and he said, well, you know, there's, we've seen shadows move around up there, but, um, he said, I'm not too concerned about that, but I am concerned about the circle in the floor that keeps moving around. And I'm going, like, what circle? I said, did somebody draw a circle up there or paint a circle? He said, no, it's just a circle. It's there. He said, and one time it'll be here, and then another time it'll be over there, and another time it'll be over there. And we're like, oh, well, let's take a look at it. I want to tell you something, and being totally honest, when I hit the, about the fourth step, going up those steps to that attic, I wanted to turn around and go the other way quickly. The needle was pinned on the trifield meter. I got to the top. It was very dim. It's a very small light bulb up there. I couldn't make out what he was talking about, and I just said, okay, let's go. So we went back down the steps. I, I just didn't want to be up there. It was just something not kosher. And um, so we sat and talked. He showed me more pictures. Um, he recently put a, um, a surveillance camera in this downstairs area so he could get pictures you know, going at all times in the whole area. But it just it was just a weird feeling, a weird place. Um, and this all started, he said, he saw that triangle five weeks prior to calling me, and um, it all started after that. So logically, you would think that since he saw that, and there has been other activity in that exact same area over the years since 2013, that and this weird stuff happening, that there you could draw a conclusion a temporary conclusion, unless proved otherwise, that you have uh, some connection between that sighting and the stuff that started happening in the house at the at the same time. So, what do you think it was? What do you think was tripping you out there so much? It was um, the feeling was not fear, as much as it was. Um, Going into something that I had no knowledge about or no understanding of, you know, that uh, it was just my my knowledge wasn't great enough to understand what I was going to witness or see or be involved in, and that I should just, you know, go back downstairs and behave yourself. <laughs> it was just a weird feeling, uh, just a very strange. I've never had it before. Um, like I said, I've been with other groups on, on their, their trips out and, um, never had that feeling, uh, where, you know, it, it was just, uh, it was a weird sensation. It was like, I know what I wanted to look for, 
in the, you know, with shadows or that circle moving or whatever. And I didn't. And, and I don't really know how to explain that. So be going back. Um, right now, he, he's for uh, my purposes, he's downloading all these photographs and videos that he has, and he has many of them. Um, onto a thumb drive and I'm going to go pick it up and then bring it home and, and start working on the pictures and see if I can clarify them or get them, uh, you know, more uh, or cleaner, you know, um, to find the shapes better and then uh, take it from there. Mm -hmm. So do you think then that there is any type of correlation between the paranormal and ufology oh it could be sure you know keeping an open mind yeah yeah it could be i mean um could i prove it no no i mean i, I can't prove it but the possibility is there sure i mean it's not the first time where uh, a report came out that there was uh, um, something in the sky whether it was an orb or a ship or a uh, a um, a triangle or any other uh, type of craft, and then there was something strange going on in the home. And I'm not talking about abductions now. I'm just talking about weird stuff like, you know, a chair falling over or lights going on or off in the house uh, or whatever. And another thing with the home is this guy replaces light bulbs, he said, on a weekly basis. He said, I don't care how good a light bulb I buy, whether it's the new LED type or the new twirly type or whatever, he said, I replace... I replace them on a weekly basis. And uh, the electrical system is um, uh, fairly new. Uh, it's a 100-amp, you know, system, a basic home system, and it's but a couple years old. And I, you know, um, poking around a couple of the uh, outlets and stuff, everything seemed fine. So I guess we'll see. I know, from, I know from personal experience, Butch, that my wife, who is a contactee slash abductee, she has had multiple experiences where she has seen, I'm going to call them almost like alien life forms, in our home. And that may sound a little odd to many people out there, but I can tell you right now, my wife... She really isn't a BSer when it comes to this, you know. And one of the times, actually, she caught our son, who's three years old, looking at the doorway. He was just staring at the doorway in between our kitchen and our hallway to the bedrooms. And when she looked over there, that's where she saw almost like a purplish-white hue. And in that hue was something standing there with big black eyes. And he was staring right at it until, you know, he kind of looked over at Mom to get her attention. And then, poof, you know, it kind of disappeared that way. Do you think extraterrestrials are coming in on a spiritual form to act like ghosts would in someone's house? Sure, they could. Why not? I mean, there have been a lot of strange reports, paranormal-wise that were misconstrued to be abductions and vice versa. So, yeah, that, that's possible. Why not? 
Does that actually bother you when you hear that a lot of people may not be able to tell the difference between a ghostly encounter and maybe an extraterrestrial encounter? Oh, yeah, sure, that would bother me, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing uh, that kind of bothered me uh, when I was there was uh, their antique dealers. And they collect um, a lot of religious and satanic uh, pieces. And um, so it's a possibility that they might have bought something at an auction and brought it into the home. Don't know that. But the fact that it all starts with the UFO sighting five weeks prior, there's a connection there somehow. And the fact that in the one picture... Uh, you see this tall shadow and then the two smaller shadows, which could be, you know, the taller gray, the shorter gray, or whatever people call them. Um, so it just, it was just a weird, it's, it's probably the weirdest case that I've ever, I've ever, uh, I've ever even started into. I guess what I'm trying to wonder is whether or not there is that correlation between the spiritual being of a ghost and an alien, because if both can ha- come in in spiritual form in into one's house, that might add up to a lot of different sorts of activity that people are having. Which, which brings up the circle moving. So is that circle uh, a, a paranormal event, or is that circle a portal meant for entrance and exit? Do you think portals and, and thin veils in people's house, houses have something to do with that? It could, sure. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it wasn't there before this thing shows up above his truck, and then after that event, this shows up, and these shadows show up. And the shadows are not dark, you know, like the Shadow Man stories you hear, like the black shadow standing in the doorway. These are kind of on the gray side, you know, more gray, uh, uh, a darker gray, and... Uh, not that you can see through them, but you can definitely see the outline of of the form uh, very clearly. Have you ever talked to Barry Strom? Uh, no. Mm-mm. You should. He is a you extraterrestrial and paranormal channeler through a spirit board. He actually owns an antique shop in Pennsylvania that deals with a lot of haunted items, shall we say. He might be one to ask about the whole haunted items. Hmm. Yeah, I'm writing it down now. And Barry's been a guest on this show numerous times. He will actually be a guest on this show next week on the 9th. 
So you should probably tune in for that one. About it. Yeah. And his knowledge of, you know, I forget where he where he is from in Pennsylvania. I'm going to quickly Google it for you. But he might have some knowledge in regards to the antiques for this case. Yeah, the place is full of them. It's like walking into a museum. Really? And the yeah. folks, the, the husband and wife, they're very nice people. I mean, you can tell whatever's there is scaring them to death. Um, I mean, they're both uh, very honest, very uh, up upright as far as I'm concerned with the report. Um, so I'd really like to find out what's there or what's doing it and either have get some help to have it removed or whatever you got to do. Now, they did have mm-hmm. uh, Catholic priests on different occasions come to bless the house, but didn't seem to do anything, which mm-hmm. would probably be valid because, you know, if it would be paranormal, there may have been some effect there. But if they'd be extraterrestrial, be there'd probably be no effect there. Mm-hmm. His... Gallery is called the Golden Lane Antique Gallery, and it's in, I believe, New Oxford. Yeah, New Oxford, Pennsylvania. I don't know how. I don't know how far away that would be from you. Uh, About an hour. Well, that's worth the drive. Worth the drive. Because he could probably definitely help you out with that. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. For sure. Just tell him that you're on this show once a month and he'll help you out. For sure. Good. Totally help you out. You know, might as well. Take advantage of it if you can. Oh, absolutely. I use every tool I can get. Whether Absol- it's talking to something, whatever. <laughs> Everything oh, helps. Sure. Oh, for sure. So... With this experience that these people are having with shadow people, you say they're not really shadow, black shadow people. They're more gray type people. Yeah, dark, uh, like a dark gray. They're not black like you. No, if you'd see pictures uh, on the internet of uh, Shadow Man or, you know, they're, they're really dark black. I mean, you can't really make out anything. But these you can make out the arms. There's space between the arms and legs, the neck, the head. Now, he was trying to find one picture, but he has so many. He was trying to find one picture where he says he definitely, you can definitely see uh, large eyes. Now, I'll probably get that when I get the rest of the pictures. But uh, if that's the case, well, then you know what you're dealing with then. You have seen some of these photos. What does the photographic evidence look like? Looks pretty good. I mean, they're not shaky. They're not blurry. Um, you, can, you know, you can see the backgrounds. You can see the foreground. I mean, everything's in focus. I mean, it's, it's not uh, it's not some cob setup that you know all shaky and blurry and stuff like that. They're very clear. And the video and the and, and the video also is very clear. So, with the programs I have, hopefully, I can enhance them and you know get some backlight on them and, and brighten them up a little bit so I can see better uh, what I'm looking at and, you know, do some outline work and uh, see what kind of outlines we got here and 
see exactly what these things are or what they could be or could not be. So in your mind, what do you think they are? Hmm. I guess my best way to answer that would be not of this earth, but, you know, ghosts aren't of this earth either. The thing that bugs me the most is the circle up in the attic. Why the circle? What's the circle for? What's the what's the what's the meaning of the circle? Why is it moving? You know, like it's in the center of the room, and then you know it'll go up a day or two later. It's over on that side of the room, and a day or two later, it's over on that side of the room. And it's not painted. It's not chalk marked. It's just it just shows up. And I, I just don't know what that is. I've never I've looked for other reports to to see what it could be or what it would be and I can find nothing like that either in paranormal or in in uh in ufology. Now, I've seen reports where people say, well, a hole opened up in the wall, you know, a portal or or I saw a portal in the woods open up or you know, that, I've seen those, but nothing like this. It's just a circle. The so best for, way to describe, yeah, I was, think the best way. But if you took, a, if you had a, uh, if you had a drum, you know, like a fifty-five gallon drum, and you stuck it out in the middle of the floor when the floor was brand new, and you didn't move it for like twenty years, of course you'd have dust and dust and all that stuff. And you move that drum, and you have this clean spot, which would be the, the circle, which never was affected by any dust or anything, like that, and they have all the dust around. It. That's what it looks like. How it's big bizarre. is it? Uh, three foot, maybe four foot, three foot, four foot. Do they see things coming in and out of it? No. Mm-mm. So it's almost like a hula hoop. Mm, yeah, sort of. But they've seen stuff. Those shadows they've seen in the attic. Right. So they've seen them in the attic. They've seen them down in the den. They've seen them in the living room. Uh, the wife and the husband were sleeping one night and she kind of woke up for something and he woke up and she saw one run from one corner of the room into the kitchen. Yeah, he went into the kitchen, there was nothing there. I mean, nobody's been hurt. Um, the child isn't scared of anything, you know. I mean, there's nothing, nothing that seems to have affected them only mentally, fear, that they have a great deal of. But like I said, just a nice couple, nice nice people. So we'll do what we can do to help them. Joyce has a question. She is asking, those gray shadow people, could their color really be an absence of light, like the energy that they manifest is drawing inward instead of emitting? Sure, of course. Yeah, no problem there. It's uh, it's weird because, like I said, the shadow people that you're used to seeing photographs of and drawings of and everything, they're always this dark shadow blocking everything out. I'm not saying these are translucent, but I, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't get to work on the pictures yet, but it looks like you can, in some of those photographs, it looks like I can see things behind them. Now, what's behind them 
you know, it could be part of the living room, which I have pictures of anyway to match up to, but it could be part of the living room wall. It could be a, 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 um, uh, a cabinet that's there with some dishes on behind them. Um, and I won't know that till I, it just, from what I saw, that's what it looked like to me. Like not translucent, but it's like I could make stuff out behind them, but I just don't know what was behind them. It's really weird. It, it's really, it's, I never run into anything like this ever. And like I said, I don't, I don't do that kind of work, but this has me intrigued and it has me about half crazy. <laughs> Have you, previous figure to out the, what it is. Previous to this UFO sighting that they had, have either hmm. of the people in the house ever had ET experience? No. None. So how long has this been going on? Uh, five weeks before Christmas it started. And what kind of craft did they see? A triangle, black. And the photograph of that is perfect. We just had one of our regular listeners just the other night on this program. Actually, her daughter photographed a black triangle right in front in Washington State. Mm. Watch the lights go out and then watch them come back on. So since they saw this triangle, that's when everything just kind of started going haywire in their house. Correct. Yep. Do they know if they were taken? Uh, no. Um, you know, I asked them about that, and they said no. They had no missing time or uh, any markings on their body or anything like that. And it just um, nothing like that. The only thing that um, was kind of bizarre, and. Um, it happened to the husband, and I don't. Uh, he didn't remember which, what the time was when when it actually happened. But you know, they got so weird and scared about stuff in the upstairs moving around, noises they heard, you know, doors opening, closing, stuff like that. <clears throat> Plus, uh, the steps are right there to go up in, into the attic. <clears throat> that they're using it downstairs. They have a full full bath down there, and he went and take a shower. <clears throat> Excuse me, and. Um, he came out of the shower, <clears throat> and um, his wife was standing there, and uh, he had the number 33 on his forehead, and she took a photograph of it, and I saw the photograph, and it's there. And he kind of dried himself off and, you know, got dressed and everything, and then it was gone. Now, the 33 has a lot of meaning uh, in the Masonic uh, Lodge. It has a lot of meaning. It has a lot of meaning in uh, Illuminati um, uh, things. It's, uh, the 33 is called the Jesus number because he was 33 years old when he died. I mean, there's a lot of stuff with the number 33, but why would he have it on his forehead? 
How long was that number on there for? Uh, a minute or two. Was he able to get a photo of it? Yeah, yeah. I saw the photo, yeah. Mm -hmm. So does it look yeah, like yeah. it's scratched in? Oh, mm -mm, just looks like uh, uh, like he had <laughs> like he had a rubber stamp walk up and stamped him on the forehead. Wasn't dark. It was it was on the faint side, but you can make out the number thirty three. Um, bit of their background. She's Roman Catholic. Went to Catholic school. Uh, he uh, Protestant. Went to Protestant school, and he studied Kabbalah. That was it. That's the background on religion. Intriguing. Mm. Were these people believers in any of this type of phenomenon before this happened? I think she was when she was much younger. She's 30, he's 32. Uh, I, I think she, um, you know, uh, like all kids in those, uh, in their early teens and mid-teens, at one time or another, start messing around with Ouija boards and tarot cards and satanic stuff. But um, didn't do that. And the only thing he ever did was really study different religions, and the one that intrigued him the most was Kabbalah. How often are these incidences happening with this couple? Oh, all the time. I mean, that guy could probably take thousands of pictures a week. They're very cognizant of their um, surroundings, so when something's not right or out of place, they know it right away. Get to a quick question from Everett here. Could it be that these gray shadow people are simply the classic version of a full-bodied apparition? Sure they could be. Mm -hmm. But until I... Until I until I see differently in the photographs, when I when I work on the photographs and try to enhance them and get them up to color and everything else and size, um, if I'm looking at just a shadow with no features or anything like that, I, I would say, yeah, it's probably in that line. Uh, if I do all that and I come up with almond eyes and, you know, mouth slit or nose holes or, or uh, a classic gray, um, then it's the other way. This is a very weird case. Have they tried grounding or blessing their home? Twice. Home was blessed twice. Catholic priests came and blessed. One, uh, one came one time, one came the other time. Children in the home? One boy, a year and a half old. Do we know if he's seeing anything? He's, he's just a little guy. <laughs> The whole time I was there, he just runs around like a maniac, <laughs> playing with... Well, I'm saying this because when my daughter, she's 18 now, and I'm very sad that today she started her final semester of high school. I'm very sad about this. Well, happy, but you know, as a parent, what it's like. I know when she was about a year and a half, that's when she started having her own sightings. So that's why I asked that question, if the little guy had seen anything or was talking about anything strange. No, nothing. Um, even when they saw stuff, they'd you know look at the little boy to see if he saw anything or if he was staring in that direction. No, nothing at all. I'm getting a lot of questions asking if you'll release any of the photos publicly. If he allows me to, yes. 
Yeah, they're his photographs, not mine. So, you know, I really need to get his permission to do that, even if it's just one or two of the really good ones. I would love to see some, my friend. Love to yeah. see some. This is uh, definitely... Well, what... Go ahead. Uh, what I'm going to do is, as soon as I get them, I'm going to start working on them. Like I said, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of video and and photographs, and, you know, I want to uh, enhance them and get them uh, to where I can actually see what I'm looking at and then uh, put the best ones aside and then um, uh, ask him if I can, you know, release, you know, because I'm not going to give his name or his location. <laughs> so, I mean, they could come from Timbuktu. Nobody will know that. Uh, although he's close to me, there's a lot of things close to me. So <laughs> he'll never be found. But I still would like to have his permission in writing to give him, which I would with anybody, permission in writing to put anything out of anything. My friend, it's come to that time. we got to wrap things oh. up quickly, eh? Already. I know. Oh. Three hours, boom, gone. Time warp. <laughs> yeah. Butch, thank you so much for being on Space Out Radio. Your website, once again, uforcop.com. You hold on a second, Butch. I'm going to wrap this thing up. If you're listening in on the Spaced Out Radio side, hi, Christoph. Yes, I see you in the chat room. You're late, a lot late. Anyhow, if you're listening in on the Spaced Out Radio side, you hear Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy, rocking us in and out of every absolute episode of this show. Tomorrow night, we got Todd Neese with us. We're going to talk more Bigfoot. Here on the West Coast, Cascadia to be exact, and an incredible journey he went on this summer looking for Sasquatch way up British Columbia's coast into Alaska. Started off in Oregon. It's going to be a great one. 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. Remember, if you want to listen to this show and others, go to our YouTube channel, Space Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn or download this show and others on iTunes. And of course, all the action happens at spaceoutradio.com. We will be back in exactly 21 hours from now. I hope you all join us because it's kind of fun when all of you are around. I kind of like it. Especially the guys who crack me up on hashtag Space Out Radio on Twitter. You know who you are, Mr. Skeptic, Mr. John, and a couple of others as well. Derek, good to have you with us as well. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll talk to you tomorrow night.